And now, the show where everyone knows on Shot First. Sci-Fi for Me is live from the bunker. That's right. But we're not back yet. How's the how's the sound? Is the it, can you guys hear the music? I think the last time we were in here, it kind of didn't didn't translate well. Anyway, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> no, he didn't. Welcome everybody. Yes, we're live ish. But we're not back yet. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at SciFiForMe.com. Let me turn that down a little bit. And uh, if you go over to, uh, we brought the buffering back. Are we buffering? There may be a reason for that because I have a lot of tabs open. Let me see if I can shut a few of them down as we go through the day. Um, okay. Uh, no buffering on YouTube. Okay. Well, we'll we will see what we can see. Um, and uh, and take it as we go. The, re the reason there could be some buffering somewhere, somehow, is because I've got a number of tabs open, including a test of a new tool. We'll see how it works. Let me give a shout-out real quick to everybody who is listening to this show as a podcast. Uh, and we've got listeners all over the world. Uh, Russia, Spain, Germany, Japan, uh, South America, Canada. Here in the good U.S. of A. And uh, I know a lot of stuff is going on other places. We're not going to talk about that. But <clears throat> a lot of people are talking about, you know, prophecy and sign of the times and all that kind of thing. Let me share this with you just real quick. Not, not that I'm doom and glooming anything. But, you know, there's supposed to be a solar eclipse this weekend. Big one. Ring of fire. Ring of fire. Ring of fire. And it burns, burns, burns. This is space.com. Annular solar eclipse will turn the sun into a spectacular ring of fire this week. Scheduled for October 14th, which is Saturday. Which is also the day that we're going to be helping uh, Walking and Rolling Costumes with their costume reveals. They're going to do five uh, reveals on Saturday starting at 3 p.m. Central. So you want to join us for that. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Walking and Rolling, they build costumes for kids in wheelchairs. Uh, and they've been doing this for a number of years. And uh, Lon Davis who is the founder, the guy who runs things, he will be our guest on Thursday during the second hour. Because I guess we're doing a show on Thursday. I got ticketed. You know, your microphone is, is right over there and it's on, but, you know. But we're not back. But we're not back. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just turn your microphone off then. Uh, <laughs> because that's how we do. Um I got taken to task the other day, yesterday, last night, Mrs. Boss. We had a we had a very interesting day <laughs> yesterday, but I got taken to task last last night because Mrs. Boss was unaware that we were going to do a show today, and uh, you know it just helps to plan the day and make sure that everything is where it needs to be and whatnot and everything. And I you know I 
I I apologized as I should because you know we're partners. I should I should keep her informed. But I was a little distracted yesterday by the uh, by the presence of trespassers and wild do goings on because Mrs. Boss uh, started the day with a question. She she woke up from her Columbus Day nap and she said, "By the way." Did you did the did the pest control guys leave a box in the uh, in the back in the back? No, because they've been out there dealing with the assassin bugs. Well, did they leave any kind of a box? No, they didn't leave a box. Well, did you take something out there? Because there's a tote out there. There's a black tote out there with a yellow lid on it. And I immediately went DefCon two because there's not supposed to be a tote back there. And apparently we had. We had trespassers overnight Sunday night. <sighs> I do see some buffering on YouTube right now. I, uh, hopefully, it gets better as I close as I close tabs because I'm going to start closing some tabs uh, and maybe try to cut down on the on the bandwidth because I've got a lot of tabs open, including including a new tool that uh, that I'm going to start using right now because let me see. Let me see if this is actually going to work, all right? Because I've not done this. This is new. Let me let me do this. I'm going to turn this because I'm going to have to probably reset uh, some things, and there's going to be some overlap. So just bear with me for just a moment. I'm going to click a button. Watch this. Watch this. Is it there? Where is it? Oh, I don't have it on this. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Let me copy and paste that there. Um, no, it was supposed to be here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Put it here. There it is. There it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you will see, those of you who are watching, I'm able to pull in chat. I'm able to pull in chat. There's the, uh, Mr. Pensack there saying good afternoon. Michael saying, wasn't this show canceled? Jay says, looky here, a live show. Mrs. Boss in the chat saying, we are not back. Michael giving a shout out to the, uh, to the uh, chat, people in the chat. Uh, great VO. That is our friend Tom Kane. And um, here's RV Live over on Odyssey. See, look, I can pull in chat from Odyssey. And I can pull in chat from Rumble. Uh, Mr. Pensack says, by the way, whatever became of the corn in the dog path? The corn the corn actually is was not corn. It was sorghum. And most of it is gone now because, you know, we're getting into the fall. Uh, we did cut a number of the heads and everything off. So all of that is uh, is done. Uh, there, uh, there's a little bit left for the birds to eat the pods because apparently they like to eat them. And, uh, then, uh, then all of that will come out. So the dog run is almost back to being a dog run. Just in time for us to start dealing with people on the property who shouldn't be on the property. So anyway, there's that. But yeah, we got a new tool. I want to thank Brahma Bull. Um, for pointing this out, he mentioned it Sunday night during uh, Culture Casino's stream. 
karate with infinite patience. Go back and check that out. And uh, what? Mrs. Boss was even on the show. Yes, Michael says, Children of the Sorghum just does not sound right. <laughs> no, it does not. Um, so, yeah, so there's a there's a new tool that's been developed. It's called, uh, what's it called? Social Stream Ninja. And uh, Brahma Bulb was telling us about it because the, the biggest complaint that people have about using StreamYard as a broadcast tool is that it will only pull in chat from YouTube and or Twitch. And there are a lot of other options now as far as broadcasting, because you've got, you know, not only do you have YouTube and Twitch, but you can also broadcast to Facebook, you can broadcast to Twitter, you can broadcast to Odyssey and Rumble and Kick and whatever else is out there. And there are chat windows in all of these different places, and there's there hasn't been a tool to to bring all of this stuff in until now. And and so far, Knerd uh, over on Odyssey says failed test. I I think I think this I think this passed the test, but it does mean that I've got extra tabs open. And that could be. I'm going to go in and check and you know play with it a little bit because the settings. I may be able to change the settings a little bit so it's not using so much resources. I don't know if it's causing the the buffering or not. Um, Dave says to replace the Delithium crystals in the PC. Maybe it'll stop the buffering. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, so I'm I'm excited because we, now we've got now we now we're able to pull in chat from. Everywhere. I'm, I'm excited about that. So uh, so take your precautions as you feel necessary for uh, the weekend uh, with regard to um, with regard to the solar eclipse. Uh, see if it brings in Odyssey stickers. Well, let's see. Um Give it a try. Let's see what happens. <laughs> it doesn't look like it. Um, does the new tool require you must still ally with one platform? Rumble YouTube? Or no, um, it's it's totally uh, off book, um, open source, and it's free. And it doesn't uh, it doesn't require any kind of a connection or a setting or an account or anything. It's just it's an add on. Uh, it's a browser add on. And so you install it and turn it on and go to town with it. Uh, Road Vagabond Live, it does not look like it's going to take stickers from Odyssey. Now, the next test is to see if it takes Super Chats. <laughs> see how I did that? But the, the thing I like about it is that in the dashboard here where I'm seeing all of the comments and all of the stuff, I got a little indicator on on every single one uh, where I can see where that comment is coming from. Now, you don't see that on that side, uh, but I can see, for instance, Nerd is asking for a link to the, to the widget, and that's over on Odyssey, and Michael's comment is on YouTube, but you guys don't have the indicator there on uh, on where it goes, uh, nerd. The link is social. What is it called? Socialstream.ninja. 
is the uh, is the link to it. Let me go ahead and do this because I am your friendly neighborhood. Wait, 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 wait. No, not that. I am your friendly neighborhood host. So let me post that. Actually, you know what I can do? I can do it here. Um, how can I do that? I know I can do it from here. I thought. So, yes, there it is. Boom. And it goes to everywhere. I can I can put one. I can put one link everywhere, and I can send it to all of the chat windows at once. I'm very 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 excited about it. That's 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 really cool. So anyway, there that is. Here's something that's kind of cool, <clears throat> depending on how you look at it. Variety reporting on the Aquaman movie. <laughs> so this broke today, I think. Here's the headline. Aquaman 2 flooded with drama. Jason Momoa allegedly drunk on set, Amber Heard scenes cut, Elon Musk's letter to WB, and more. Now, buried in this article, way down at the bottom, buried in this article, is an interesting little tidbit that could have some massive repercussions. Uh... Now, uh, let's see. Oh, 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 okay. Nerd's giving me a, giving me a, is that an, what are Odyssey? Uh, okay, so the Odyssey tokens, coins, whatever. So chat on Odyssey, I get the, I can pull up the thing. So there that is there from, from you, Nerd, and it doesn't give an indicator as far as a donation or anything. So, so it pulls up just like a regular chat, at least on the Odyssey side of things. So Aquaman 2 is supposed to be coming out in December. <coughs> we'll see about that. This is Tatiana Siegel in, uh, in Variety. These waters are getting choppy, she begins. On the same day in mid-September that Warner Brothers dropped the trailer for its $215 million Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom, Embarrassing documents from the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial surfaced on Reddit, creating a new headache for the studio behind the film. A couple of things on that. I don't believe that the budget on this thing is only $215 million. <laughs> there's, there's no way. This thing is probably north of $270 uh, to make this thing because of all of the mess. Anyway, the other thing here... Uh, is that the studio behind the film might still be Warner Brothers, but none of the people who are making the film are still with the film. I mean, it, I mean, yeah, James Wan is still there, but the studio executives inherited this movie from the previous studio executives and the previous, previous studio executives. So, you know, this thing's gone through, I don't know how many different layers and, and levels of ownership and whatnot, but but with DC Studios being under new management, they're just trying to get past this one at this point. 
All right, from the article, continuing. Depp fans paid the court fees for the release of documents from Heard's therapist, Dr. Don Hughes. The raw notes scribbled on a legal pad were part of last year's high-profile trial in which Depp largely prevailed. It's interesting that the media would even acknowledge that at this point. They describe a hostile Aquaman set where an allegedly intoxicated Jason Momoa dressed like Depp and pushed to have Heard booted from the role of aquatic superhero Mira. Uh, the notes. Jason said he wanted me fired. Jason drunk, laid on set, dressing like Johnny, has all the rings too. A representative from Momoa declined comment, but a DC spokesperson pushed back on Hurd's characterization, saying, quote, Jason Momoa conducted himself in a professional manner at all times on the set of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Others echoed that sentiment. Quote, Jason works his ass off, likes to have a beer once in a while like everyone, but doesn't show up drunk to set, says an insider who was on the London set in 2021, adding that the two stars got along and were seen joking together. Quote, and he isn't dressing like Johnny Depp. He has always dressed in that bohemian style. Why are they? Why did they shoot this in London? Why, how, how did I miss that they were shooting in London? I know they were doing some stuff outside of Atlanta. I didn't realize that they were shooting this thing in London. Okay. Uh, continuing. Heard declined comment, but a source close to the actors confirmed that the notes refer to the Aquaman 2 set and reflect a session from December 27th, 2021... Another source close to the actress says her lawyers fought the release of the therapy notes, which had been subpoenaed by Depp's attorneys during discovery. <clears throat> the water is cheaper in London, says, uh, says Dave. Uh, Momoa wasn't the only Aquaman principal to land in the crosshairs. The therapy session also painted a picture of Heard feeling unsupported by the film's director, James Wan, and treated like a pariah because of her high-profile legal battle with her ex-husband. Uh, he raised his voice at me. I can't even post about Aquaman. Made it like it was my fault. I said I'm sorry. Say, say Hughes' notes in reference to one. Nobody could take selfies with me on, get, on set given the blackout. It kind of makes sense that way that, uh, that the director would be frustrated because our marketing efforts are hampered by the fact that everybody's talking about you being in court for being a despicable, terrible person. <laughs> I'm I'm extrapolating a little bit there. <clears throat> but I can imagine if I was the director of a, of a of a project and one of my actors was caught up in the middle of this big heated legal battle that affects the workplace that I'm responsible for, I can I can imagine being a little bit frustrated on all of that. But here's here's where it gets a little interesting, at least on a on a on a certain level. Wine declined comment. DC spokesperson said, James is known for treating members of his cast and crew with the utmost respect and for fostering a positive collaborative environment on set. The Aquaman films were no exception. That's typical boilerplate corporate speak. And yet heard, this is where it starts to get a little interesting. And yet heard was nearly fired. Sources on both sides tell variety Following Aquaman's release in 2018, the studio and Juan decided to drop the actress from the sequel due to her lack of chemistry with Momoa and sent a letter to her attorney, Carl Austin, informing him of, his, of their decision. Former DC Films boss Walter Hamada testified in the defamation trial about the issue of chemistry. Those sources underscore that the move to bounce heard was unrelated to Depp 
and took place before he filed suit against the actress in 2019. Likewise, Momoa was not involved in the decision-making, blah, 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 blah. The studio never pulled the trigger because Elon Musk, her former boyfriend, Elon Musk, had one of his litigators send a, quote, scorched earth letter to Warner Brothers threatening to burn the house down, unquote, if the actress wasn't brought back for a sequel, says a source familiar with the behind-the-scenes battle. Warner Brothers caved and moved forward with Hurt. Musk did not respond to a request for comment. I find this very interesting. On a, oh, look at that terrible, terrible, terrible car accident that we're driving past. That's, that's, how, that's how interesting it is. This is, this production is riddled and saddled with all sorts of drama and controversy that has absolutely nothing to do with the film. But there is, there is very little chance that this movie is going to be successful. At least to the, to the financial levels that they need it to be in order to make their money back. Not just break even. You gotta, you know, I mean, you, you'd like to make a profit... But who knows? I mean, I mean, if this thing, let's let's go with their production budget of two hundred fifteen million dollars. Add another one point five times that much for marketing when this thing really ramps up, starting probably November. And that's another what hundred and hundred and let's figure another hundred and ten. So three hundred and twenty five, three hundred thirty million. I, I think it's probably going to be higher than that. If you if you figure three hundred million to make the movie and another hundred and fifty to four hundred fifty, they need to make you know five hundred million just to break even. And that's not counting the percentage that goes to the movie theaters. So they got to make higher than that. They're not this this movie is not going to clear a billion. It's not going to clear a billion dollars. It it's it's probably got to do a billion two. A billion three? And there's no way. No way they're going to do it. Uh, Nerd says, uh, not sure why they would want that libelous woman in the movie. Well, she was... See, the thing is, they're stuck with her. Kind of. <laughs> because she's already been cast as Mira. She's already been in one movie. She was already, There was already a commitment to have her in the second movie before all of this stuff with Depp blew up and the, and the legal stuff. I mean, we all assumed that she was toxic because of the different reports of the, you know, stuff that's going on in Australia, and then we had the trial in the UK. And so the, the you know, it's easy to sit there and go, well, you know what, this person probably kind of toxic. Maybe we should rethink about having her in the movie. But you never know what kind of machinations and legal legal wranglings are involved in any of that. I mean, we saw this with some of the lawsuits with Disney and Marvel, you know, Scarlett Johansson suing Disney because of residuals and streaming and it went it, it left theaters before certain bonuses could be triggered and all that. So who knows? You know, besides Elon's scorched earth letter, there could be other things, other financial and legal considerations that they have to take into account before they decide to pull the trigger. But according to this article, from what this article is saying, they had already decided to make that decision. They had already decided to, to, to cut her from the movie and recast. So 
they're at least in the headspace, according to this article. Now, all of this is secondary to the thing what is buried at the very, 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 toward the end of this article. And it's just one sentence. One sentence. Some on the lot are convinced. We're talking about the Warner Brothers lot now. Some on the lot are convinced that another company, most likely Universal, will buy Warner Brothers within two years, making recent DC subplots and upheavals feel quaint. Hello, exactly, wait, what? Universal may be buying Warner Brothers? Excuse me? Can you do that? I don't know that you can. I mean, that's a huge thing. Uh, Valiant Renegade, look at this. I can pull in tweets. Here's Valiant Renegade posting on Twitter. Uh, the problem here is the FTC already has made statements lamenting previous such mergers they allowed. Warner and Universal are two of the absolute biggest out there. I can't see a viable path where regulators will permit this to happen short of each company shedding, spinning off significant current assets. Look at that. I can pull in a tweet from Twitter. Isn't that cool? And I think Valiant's got a point. You know, I never thought, I never thought that the regulators would let Disney buy 20th Century Fox. In my wildest dream, I never thought they could do that. Uh, Michael, this question, how could Elon do Scorched Earth? Was he in charge of Twitter at the time of the alleged letter? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. And even if he had Twitter at the time, when did he buy Twitter? He bought Twitter last year, 2022? Yeah. Okay, so this would have been, these letters would have been probably, if they're saying before, before the trial, that would have been, we'll see, the trial was last year, right? All of the years are just kind of rolling together at this point. I think the trial was last year, early early 2022, was it not? And then Aquaman 2's been in production for a long time. I would say that his, his Scorched Earth letter probably went before he bought Twitter. I honestly could... I can't think of how he could have done any kind of a scorched earth thing with regard to Warner Brothers because at the time, even now, I don't know how he could do it. Unless he knows something and he's just kind of keeping it in his back pocket. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that I need to take a break. A little bit, maybe. Just some. Quite little. Right? So, here's what we're going to do. We are going to take a real quick break. We will be back with more on the other side of this. Don't go anywhere. Stand by.
Sci-Fi for Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi for Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Thanks for watching Sci-Fi for Me TV. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. You're watching Sci-Fi for Me TV, delivering the multiverse since 2009. What do you think of our little slides there? We got a few of those. We're gonna be playing a little bit with the format here. Like I said, it's it's one of those things where we're still testing some things, testing the boundaries and whatnot. Uh, back live from the bunker here, Jason Hunt with you. And I'm actually able to put all of you on the screen. I'm excited about that. We are broadcasting live to YouTube, Odyssey, and Rumble. Go share the links with people because coming up in half an hour, coming up in the second hour of the program, Dan Danford will be here. We're going to be talking about the Walt Disney Company and FTX because uh, trial went on last week, Mr. Sam McMahon-Fried. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, where Disney is. Uh, right now, the stock price is sitting at 85.09. And there is some movement afoot. Road Vagabond Life says, Hey, Disney, if you give me $250 million, I promise I can lose money for you, too. <laughs> I could, Mrs. Boss, what could you do with $250 million? Pay the bill. Besides pay the bills. I mean, any anybody can sit there and say, well, pay the bills. I could use it to get some more get some more monitors, get some more computer monitors, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Michael says three whole hours wowzers. Yeah, it we're testing something. Basically what I'm thinking. First hour is just me yapping like this. Second hour is the guest stuff, so panel discussions, interviews, and all of that. Third hour is going to be call-in. Now, here's, here's, what I, here's what I would like to see that third hour turn into. Is a line of people waiting to opine, you know, four, five, three, five, six minutes or so, and, you know, we do the call, like, like, you know, talk show, radio talk shows. You know, people can call in, tell us what they think, ask a question, do whatever. We go to the next person, da 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 da, da we go to the next person. And we can turn it into a big panel discussion about people, but you all got to call in. So, that's, I'm putting that out there. The third hour comes in, which is an hour and a half away. We're going to open up the line for 
everybody to to jump in if you want to. So be thinking about that. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Uh, Road Vagabond Life says, I promise I'd spend a few million sci-fi for me for, for promotion of my failed film. You know, films films only fail if you quit. I mean, there, it, it, Lucas had said at one point, George Lucas at one point says, films are never finished, they're abandoned. And I, and I, I understand, I sympathize with that. Because I have a number of projects that are just kind of sitting there in abeyance because I just, you know, I just don't feel like doing anything with it anymore. And uh, our, our, our adaptation of the statement of Randolph Carter, one of these days we're hoping to get that thing finished. Uh, we're in the process, we're trying to find somebody who could finish the effects because the guy who was working on it died of lung cancer. And so that set us back, and we're just it, both of us. Tim and I both have been uh, very busy with various different other things, so we haven't really had a chance much to get back to it. But one of these days, I would like to finish Randolph Carter. And I, I'm still toying with the idea of expanding the book that I published, The Hero at the End of His Robe. I've still got some other ideas of some different things, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't self-characterize anything as a failure, although don't ask Mrs. Paws about that because there have been a few conversations that I've had here internally about the various different things that I've failed at, but those are personal failures. You know, business business tends to be one of the, you want to, you want to get out there and just be your own cheerleader, right? You want to, you want to promote yourself. You want to promote your work. Nobody else on the planet has to think that it's any good. But you at least have to have the positive energy to get people to take a look at it. So I will encourage everyone to be positive. I don't have a little sounder for that little sparkly pling. Be positive, you know. Um, no, and, and, I, and I, I get how that how that sometimes can be when you get to a point and you're just like, oh, this is not going to work. But you adapt. You adapt and you adjust and you prevail. By the way, uh, speaking of prevail, I introduced Mrs. Boss Saturday night to the cat from outer space. It's on Disney+. Plus. Stars Ken Berry and Sandy Duncan. The Cat from Outer Space was a pretty big influence over a short film that I did called Species Felis Dominaris, uh, which is it was a short film which actually ran on the Sci-Fi Channel. Thank you very much. Back in two thousand seven, uh, they they said, you know, Sci-Fi had this thing called the Exposure Contest and ostensibly what it was was a competition to find new talent. And the winner was going to get a development deal with Sci-Fi Channel. And so we put this thing together. It was a short film. It was kind of a Twilight Zone-ish type of thing where uh, a neurologist, uh, a, a... How would you... How would you describe him? Yeah. 
there's a word. There's a word. Uh, his his reputation has been pretty much shot. And he stumbles upon this notion that his cats his cats have a higher brain energy than humans. And this goes all the way back to Carl Jung. Uh, Carl Jung had a theory about brain energy and, and that sort of thing. So there's, there's some basis in science-ish. I mean, depending on how you define science now, right? And he's, he's got this scanners, all these things. And we, and we put this thing together. And he developed an algorithm that could take the, the scans of the brain energy and there's patterns to them. I may be able to translate it. And he does. And it doesn't go well. So, um, Dave says, I saw the cat from outer space in the theater when it was released. I didn't. <clears throat> Although, I'm not young. I don't know, when was that released? 73? What does it say? 73? 75? No, it was later than that. But, yeah, Cat from Outer Space, Saturday night. I should I should uh, I should put the link in for for that short film y'all go watch it. Let me let me do this. Let me see if I can do this here real quick. Because I now have a tool where I can type something in once and it'll go to all of the different chats and I'm very excited about that. Alright, so here we go. Videos, short films. Where is it? I've always had the game Yeah, well, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. I just gotta, I just gotta find it and pull it up here. Uh, there's a statement of Randolph Carter. Uh, there it is. All right, so that share, copy, and there, and there. By the way. Uh, for those of you who are kind of tech-savvy, I'll put that in there. All right, so the link is in the chat for anybody who wants to watch our short film about cats. So, um... Find the mistake. Shush. There is no mistake. Uh -huh. I made that film doped up on NyQuil. I'm actually surprised that it holds together as well as it does. Thank you very much. All right, so, um... So there's that movie about cats. What was I starting to say here? Cats are the worst actors. Well, yeah, I I kind of caught them just doing what they were doing for the insert shots. But uh, but yeah, this thing. So I ended up actually as a finalist in this competition for Sci-Fi Channel, and the exposure contest we ran. There were there were nine, I believe, nine finalists, and. All of the finalists were compiled together into uh, an hour and a half special that ran three times on the network. So I have had, I have had my stuff on the Sci-Fi Channel. And this is back before it was Sci-Fi. Uh, and the winner, I understand, the winner of the competition, who was not me, the winner of the competition apparently didn't get the development deal that they were promised, and the fact that these Specials ran in the middle of the night, like at one o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the morning. 
tells me that they were burning off a contractual obligation of some sort. They didn't really mean they were going to do anything past that. But, you know, I got bragging rights. I've had a short film on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yay me. So, you know, all of this time in media production kind of paid off once. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But that's interesting about Universal and Warner Brothers. I don't think it'll go through. And as far as the Disney stuff goes, when you know, I mentioned I was surprised that the Disney Fox deal was allowed to go through. That's something that we'll talk about in the next hour with Dan. I I I fully expect that in the next eight to ten months, probably sooner, because uh, we're already seeing some rumblings, but I would say in the next eight to ten months, I would expect the Walt Disney Company to start divesting itself of bigger pieces, not just the owned and operated TV stations and ABC network. I think that Disney's going to have to start selling a bunch of stuff. For reasons, and we we'll get into that in the we'll get into that in the next hour. But I it just I don't see Universal buying Warner Brothers because I mean I mean can you imagine I there there's too much consolidation nowadays anyway. You know, it, even online media companies are buying up media companies. I think uh, Adams Media, which was really big in in you know covering the Depp Heard thing with their court TV tournament. This is, uh, what's his name, Adams, who used to be on, was he on, was he on Fox? And um, Abrams, was it Abrams or Adams? Abrams, Abrams Media. Dan Abrams. I think he was on Fox. He might have been on um, MSNBC. But uh, his company just got acquired. And these these smaller media companies, these smaller production companies, are getting gobbled up by the bigger companies, and the or the, the medium sized companies, which are getting gobbled up by the bigger companies, which are getting gobbled up by bigger companies. And I don't know that this deal would ever go through, but I don't I. It's 2023, my bingo card's fill in the blank. And I've got some stuff on that bingo card that I never would have thought that I'd be putting that on there. <laughs> I'm being a Chicagoan liking you on two platforms to inflate your numbers. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I fully expect you to continue watching these shows after you're dead. In true Chicago fashion. Because that's the Chicago way. Right? Isn't that how they say that? Uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, what else, there was something, wait, I had, oh, I can't do that, um, because that would do that, let me do, because I saw something the other day, uh, oh, hey, by the way, uh, Paul DeGarabedian post, uh, over on Twitter, because he was on last Thursday, uh, he says, an honor to represent Comscore as part of this amazing CNN segment, looking at the monumental Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie and Beyonce's Renaissance film. So uh, apparently he was on. 
Paul gets a lot of screen time from these channels that are looking for experts to say, what's going on in the box office? So they go to Paul uh, as their resident expert, as they should. I mean, he's, he's, he's good on camera, and he knows this stuff. He knows what he's talking about. So uh, let's see a few notes. Joe, uh, last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs renewed for a sixth season over at Shudder. Which is good, I guess, for the folks that uh, that enjoy that kind of thing. Here's something. Here's an interesting thing because we were talking about uh, we were talking about food the other day. As a matter of fact, Mrs. Boss, let me give your opinion on this. This is from Popular Science. Uh, if I can get it to load, it's an article. Come on, page unresponsive. I've got way too many things open. I know. This is an article. From Popular Science, uh, Road Vagabond Life says, Chicago in here, I resemble that remark. <laughs> you know, I like having this new tool where I can pull up the chat for anybody, uh, any platform. All right, Popular Science, the world's first 3D printed salmon is hitting store shelves, and it looks kind of good, they say. This is Andrew Paul. Uh, this was September 15th, so this has been out there for a while. But here's your photograph of a 3D printer giving you fake food. It's made from mycoprotein and plant proteins. This is a company called Revo Foods. I don't know that this is a good thing. 3D printed food. Is this, I guess this is the, proto, uh, the prototype of the replicator. Would you eat 3D printed food? Food made from microproteins, Mrs. Boss? I'm going to go ask Bill Gates. Ask Bill Gates. Uh, I don't know. I just... I, something about it. See, here's my dilemma. Because, like I said before, I grew up on Star Trek. The original. The OG. Star Trek. Not Star Trek, the original series. Star Trek. And then you had Star Trek The Next Generation, which came out when I was 17. And this idea of the replicators, and this idea of the holodeck, were really cool. Hey, that's kind of cool. You could take all of these, you know, raw materials, and you could make stuff out of, out of this raw material. And you could do food and, and that sort of thing. But the older I get, and the more I see the world through the internet, I start to realize that current year humanity has absolutely no business playing with that kind of technology yet. Yes. I can't move it any slower because of my monitor here. Well, that's fine. I'm, I, I'm, 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 ple I'm, I'm pleased that you're recognizing you have a microphone over there. So that's that's good. I it's need to get a little flag on there. It says not back. But anyway, um, first of all, if I was to eat anything from a replicator from Star Trek, I would wait until the later series when they've perfected it and the food actually looks like food and not blocks. 
Gelatin cubes? Yes. And second of all, um, I have no clue now what I was going to say. Fake food. You know, it's like that meme that's on the fa on Facebook that you see if people who are vegetarians and all that stuff are so against meat, why are they trying to make all their food taste like meat? <laughs> well, it's I'm just saying. I mean, I've had tofurkey. Yeah. And it's kind of like I've only actually found one soy-based meat that was actually decent. And it's not so much that the meat-looking product, they were chicken wings. And it's not so much that, the sauce that it came with. Now, were these were, were, they, were these pink-paste chicken wings like no. they got at McDonald's? No. They, I mean, they, they were a, brown, a brand that I got at Target, and this was back in... Oh, the early teens, maybe. No. But the, the, it was the sauce that was served, you know, because you would cook them up, fry them up in the pan or something like that, however you liked them. And then you would toss it in the buffalo sauce. And it was, the sauce was fantastic. And it made it almost like you were having something from like Hooters or, you know, something like that. But again, you have something that's covering up the flavor. Mm -hmm. at the same time. I've also yeah. had uh, a like maple-based, maple, -based maple uh, sausage patty. But when I cooked it, I never ate it straight up. I mixed it in. I mean, anytime I really, if I really wanted tofu for a sub, you know, a protein or something, I love straight up fried tofu. Don't Jeez. sit there and try to make it pretty like it's supposed to be something else because... I'm completely aware what I'm eating is not supposed to be meat, but a great pro source of protein. Mm. So I think stuff like this is, again, I mean, if someone wants to live the lifestyle with no type of animal protein in their diet, of straight up meat, or if they go the full nine yards, taking out anything that's egg, dairy, things like that. Right. You know, that's that's their decision to do to whatever they want to do to their body. But I think this stuff is just another way to take more money from us well, over something silly. Besides that, I guess the other question that I've got is, you know, from a nutritional value type of, of question whether whether this would be something that is not necessarily the best thing to do in terms of I, nutrition. I and don't think it is. I mean, people who are, people who do not put real animal muscle in their body, if mm. you want to call it like that, they are lacking something. You can take as many supplements as you want. However, as you and I know, because look at my B, I have to actually do it through a shot because my body cannot digest the over-the-counter pill in through the stomach. So I need to actually do a shot with it. And there are other types of 
supplements that the body needs that's kind of the same thing. Yes, you can get a lot of this from produce of some sort. And don't get me wrong, the reason they use soy is because it is very heavy with the proteins. But at the same time, as a female, that much soy will mess up your hormones and your estrogen so much that they actually recommend that you can have it, but in limited quality or and quantities. All of that's all of that's interchangeable, right? I mean, you can just change change hormones mid track, right? No, this oh, is. Oh wait, that, that's that's a different conversation. That's a different conversation. All right, <laughs> uh, Road, Road Vagabond Life says, I bet Star Trek replicators break down more than McDonald's ice cream machines. Ouch. Ouch. All right, okay. Uh, Mike says, I'm fine on 3D printed molecules for some basic nutritions, not subject to the vagaries, viruses, bacteria, and mutations as much. That, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, but you have to wonder what they're putting into those strips to create whatever it is you're eating. Right. Because, like I said, let's go talk to, you know, what's his name, Bill Gates, yeah. and find out because they're wanting to shoot up animals that we eat. Right. And we don't want to do that. Uh, one quick thing before we take our, our break. We were talking about the money earlier. Uh, Dave says, I'd use it to put uh, I'd, I'd put Jason's Dreams project of a magazine into production. Speaking of the magazine, here's the mock-up. I don't know if we're going to do it or not, but we might. Who knows? I, you know, maybe... Well, while you're out there, you can show them the magazine we are working on. Oh, wait, the fanzine we do work on. Yes, I can do that. I will do that uh, when we get back. Uh, let's see. Where did I do that? Where did I put it? Where did I put it? Where did I put it there? All right, turn that off. Okay. All right. So we are going to take a break. Dan Danford is in the green room waiting for us to, uh, to bring him in. So we're going to do that. We're going to take a very 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 quick timeout and when we when we get back we're going to be talking about the Walt Disney Company and FTX it's going to be a mess stay tuned our transmitters are made from hand wavium this is sci-fi for me radio Oh my goodness, that, Jason, is probably, I think, the hardest question you're going to ask. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. That's a good question, though. That's an interesting question. Question. That's a great question. Count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. Um, it's another great question. These are all really good questions. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Second hour begins. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> I'm still playing with. I'm still playing with stuff. All right, uh, let me turn that on. All right, we are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here, along with all of you. Dan Danford joins us now. He is the founder and CEO of the Family Investment Center. Here in Kansas City. Welcome, sir. How you doing? All good. Beautiful fall day out there. So, uh, how have things been in your neck of the woods? We haven't talked in a while. 
Yeah, no, uh, everything's good. The uh, world seems to be in remarkable turmoil. And uh, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, that's kind of good for my business. Because when things are smooth and easy, there's a lot of people who try to invest their money themselves with uh, mixed results. Yeah. And when things get really uh, crazy, they decide that maybe they should contact a professional. And that's, like I say, really good for our business. Well, it's good to have you here to to share Thank some you. expertise with us. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of a lot of times we sit and we talk about it almost seems like we talk about the same kind of things all the time because this stuff just cycles through in the news <laughs> way more than it should. And I'm like, well, okay, this is this is there's too much of this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and people care you know, probably one of the big things about people and their money is they probably care too much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that gets them all focused on all kinds of little nuances and things like that, where, you know, really, I like to tell people there was a study done probably 20 years ago uh, where they analyzed a ton of brokerage accounts someplace and basically came back and said the ones that did the best were the ones that suffered from benign neglect. <laughs> in other words, the, the, the ones where people, you know, kind of maybe bought some of the right things and then just kind of ignored it for a decade or two. Right. Those are the ones that do the best. So, see, and and that kind of goes into my theory. And, and Mrs. Boston, I've talked about this a little bit here where we should quit more because, <laughs> you know, if we quit and just leave it alone and let it go for a little bit, you know, we get we get more subscribers. I'm not sure exactly how that's working. It's not working over on YouTube so much, but over on Odyssey as you know, we've, we've cleared 500. We're continuing to climb over there. And, you know, as, as I like to say, we're not back yet, but um, it's, well, we're not back. We're not officially doing anything yet. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's, it's kind of like, to me, it reminds me of the guys in traffic, you know, that can't sit still. So, you know, they're racing in and out of this lane and that lane and trying to get ahead all the time. And, okay. You know, at the end of the day, do they actually get someplace faster than the guy who just stays in his lane? That prompts a rant, if you would <laughs> indulge me for a moment. I don't know what it is. And, and, and Minnie and I were talking about this the other day. I don't know if this is post-pandemic or if it's just everything in the world has just decided, okay, we're all just going to let it burn. But in the last few months as I've been going to various different job sites for stuff for, you know, for stagehand work and AV work and all that freelance stuff. I have lost count of how many times I have had some kind of vehicle blow past me at 100, 110, 120 miles an hour on the highway for no apparent reason. I was like, okay, you're not being chased by the cops. What's going on here? And it's, there's more of that now and it's almost as if people post-pandemic have forgotten that there are rules for the road. And well, you know, I'm like, is, is this the beginning? Is this the beginning uh, of 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 no. Road Warrior Mad Max times? <laughs> I mean, what's going on with that? That's crazy. Uh, I agree. Anyway, all right. I see the same thing. Yeah, same thing. Speaking of crazy, let's start here. Here is the uh, stock price for the Walt Disney Company currently right now, $85.08. Do we want to talk? Let me 
I kind of have a path for the discussion here that would go from Disney to, to FTX, but you're the sure. guest. We can go wherever you want to start. No, no. It, Starting with Disney's fine. So, so the, the stock price has been fluctuating all over the place. has been doing things and, and it seems to be kind of bouncing. Here's the one month chart. Uh, where it, you know, 79.32 was the all-time low so far on October 4th. Uh, over the past six months, it's continued to decline. Even though it bounces up every now and again, it bounces up lower than the last time it bounced up. And over the past year, it's, you know, just a steady decline here. Even though Bob Iger is back to save the company... And, you know, all of these different things, you know, all of this great stuff that's supposed to be going on. And yet, and yet, this is happening. Plus, you've got all of these lawsuits that are rolling out, naming the Walt Disney Company as a, as a uh, defendant, whether primary or secondarily, uh, in the case of Julio Armand. At what point do you, as an invest, as an investor, sit there and say, "Okay, I'm gathering all of these other investors, and we are going to take steps"? How does well, this continue to happen yeah. here, Dan? No, that's exactly what's happening, and you know, um, I think the lower price just shows kind of a lack of of trust um, in in the Disney, you know, board and management. And when they made their big management change back to, uh, you know, Mr. Igor, people thought that it was going to snap right back. And of course it did not. No. And I think that's reflected in the stock prices. I think the, uh, the business itself um, is, is struggling. It's not just Disney, it's everybody in the space. Um, so I think there's some of that in there, but uh, I also, I just think, you know, um, they have not responded well in the last three or four years, yeah. no matter who was at the helm. And I think that the stock price reflects that people just aren't really comfortable. Now, you know, the old thing used to be, hey, if you don't like the way management's running the company, then sell the shares. But then you have uh, activist investors who, who look at it just the opposite. I mean, you know, uh, um, Mr. Peltz has gone from 6.3 million shares to 30 million shares. In other words, he still looks at it as a bargain. So he's buying more and more and more. But now his holdings for him and all his investors are up over $2 billion in value. He isn't going to sit by and just watch it happen. I mean, you know, at this point in time, he has a, a lot at stake. He has a lot. Of, he's one of the largest shareholders that are out there. I don't know who owns more, but there are several people who do. Uh, but but his goal is to make that two billion go to three billion or four billion to reward he and his investors. And he's he's going to demand some seats on the board. Uh, they say he wants at least two, one for himself. It gets really hard to deny somebody seats on the board when they have that kind of stake in the company. Yeah. I guarantee it's way more than most of the people are on the board now. Well, and and the other thing to that is the difference this time, like you say, is this time it's not just Nelson Peltz we want to put on the board. We want to replace other people on the board. And and if I'm a shareholder in the Walt Disney Company right now, 
and I'm not, as far as I know. I mean, I, the Hearst thing could be invested in it. I have no idea. I need to look. But if I'm a shareholder in the Walt Disney Company, I'm looking at all of this mess that's going on. You know, the interview with CNBC, uh, the perception that Iger was not fully engaged in the negotiations for the writer's strike, and now you've got, you know, you still have the, the, the actor's strike to get through. You've got the big CNBC interview that he did where he basically said, well, these people are out of touch and they don't understand. Then CNBC does this hit piece talking about the transition between Iger to Chapek to Iger. And then you have all of these lawsuits. If I'm a shareholder, I'm sitting there going, hold the bus. All of them need to be gone. Not well, just not just replace one or two, not just put Nelson Peltz on there. Replace the entire board of directors, get rid of Bob Iger, get rid of all of the people on the next level down, and and clean house. Yeah, and you also face the tough question, you know, do I hang in there or do I cut my losses and get out, you know? And that's, I would think if it was me and I'm like you, if, if I do own any, it's probably through an index fund or something. I don't yeah. own any directly. Uh, but, but my position would be I've endured all this pain. Maybe now somebody will switch things up and I'll get some of my money back. And uh, so I probably hold on, which looks like most people are doing at this point. Yeah. But uh, you've got to hope that somebody comes up with something. And I, I think, you know, they've talked about selling off ESPN. They've talked about, I mean, various things that they've talked about here. Um, you know, the toughest job for anybody who runs a company is how do you allocate resources? So let's say you liquidate some of those things. You're basically taking taking assets and turning them into cash. Then the question is, what do you do with the cash? I mean, how, where do you reinvest that money in order to get the kinds of returns that you want to get? Well, so, I can I can tell you right now what the top one the top of the list is uh, where where they need their cash because of the Hulu deal getting moved up, and right. instead of the end of the year, it's the end of the quarter. I mean, right? I'm mean, like. Um, are they going to be able to do this? Because I haven't seen this. This article here from the Hollywood Reporter was dated September 6th. They were talking about the end of September because that's the end of the fiscal year. October 1st is the beginning of the fiscal year. They should be they should be supposed to be doing something to make this deal happen now. And I haven't seen hide nor hair of any coverage at all. No discussion passed. Here was the deadline. And since October 1st, I have not seen anything that says what they're doing uh, to, to get this deal done. Do they even have the money is my question. Yeah, well, and of course, a company like Disney that's worth billions upon billions, if, if they need to raise some more money, they can do it. They, they can either issue bonds or they'll find, you know, venture capital groups to loan them money and stuff like that. Um we aren't going to see the backstage negotiations on this stuff. And even if they've got a contract, which, you know, presumably they do, yeah. uh, they're both probably still trying to wrestle advantageousness out of, you know, each side. I mean, cause you can walk away from it if you don't exercise. So anyway, I, I just think it's all really interesting. Um, I think it's interesting that, the, that, you know, the new management team, hasn't done much. I mean, they, they've cut, you know, they've cut people, they've done all kinds of stuff, but it hasn't done much for the share price. So they sure haven't convinced the, the investor class yet. 
Um, and so it, it, I just think, you know, the next year is going to be really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I, I would guess that, you know, they're, they're going to get their people on the board and all that kind of stuff. But then that also raises the question, okay, now what, what's he going to do? What, what, what's he going to compel them to do in order to raise his stock prices? You're talking about Iger? No. No, I'm you're talking about Peltz? Well, yeah. and, and you mentioned the, the, the shareholders. I do believe that Ike Perlmutter is still the largest individual shareholder. Probably, yeah. Um, and all of this coverage about Nelson Peltz coming back into the into the light, nobody's talking about whether Perlmutter is involved or not. I would guess that he is because yeah, they, they've been in contact with each other. They're friends, and, and given how Perlmutter was shown the door— I would imagine he's feeling a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm going to get mine. So I think when you've got billions of dollars on the line, uh, th there's a strong feeling that something has to be done. Yeah. And uh, what they have done, what the Disney board has done in the last year or 18 months um, has, has not yielded positive results for the shareholders. And so uh, I would expect to see some dramatic changes going forward. Did we see confirmation whether or not they actually paid out a dividend like they said they were going to? I, I don't follow the stock close enough to know. I, okay. I, I don't know. But, of course, that would be one of the things they could do with uh, liquidating assets, too, is they could, rather than reinvest that money, they could return it back to the investors, which at least some investors would probably appreciate. But... You know, I've, I've seen no discussion of that. That's just general. That's what a company can do when they liquidate assets and stuff. Yeah. So you're in the carpeted office with the fancy bathroom and you're advising Bob Iger here, Dan. So let's <laughs> let's gain this out. What do you tell Bob Iger to do next? How does how does how do we stop the hemorrhaging? How do we stop the free fall? Because. I mean, Harvey Weinstein is the gift that keeps on giving. We've got, you know, Julia Ormond's lawsuit that's come out now basically saying that Disney and Miramax uh, created an environment that made it possible for somebody like Harvey to do what he did. And so she's holding them to account, even though, you know, it, and, and her talent agency, CAA, which just got bought, you know, controlling shares just got bought by Salma Hayek's husband and his company, which owns also Balenciaga, which has been in the news recently because of various different things going on. So what do you tell Bob Iger? Because you've got a board of directors that has no experience whatsoever in entertainment. You have a guy who's in charge of the board who's, who's a Nike, he's a shoe guy. And most of your most of your board of directors, maybe, yeah, okay, they've got experience with business, but they don't have any experience with the entertainment business. What do you tell Bob Iger at this point to fix this? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, that last point you made about they don't have any entertainment experience, I, I give that a little bit of validity, but I also would argue that that is always management's position. So management is always going to say, whoever this outside activist is, they don't know anything about our business. They just know business. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the usual way that activist shareholders come in is, you know, th these guys 
there used to be a lot of them around. There aren't quite as many now, but uh, you know, they, they basically would buy these companies that had reduced share prices and then they'd go in and there'd be blood on the streets, man. I mean, they would, they would cut plants, they would cut people, they would, I mean, you know, everything to get it down to a bare bones. And then, you know, because the numbers now are better, then hopefully at some point in time, the company would return to profitability or they'd be able to sell it to somebody else. Disney is such a huge company. That's going to be hard to do. But people like the current management team and the people who've been there for a long time, you've got to realize they're going to resist with every fiber of their body any substantial change to the company. Yeah. And I think these activist shareholders, they're, that's what they want is change. I mean, they're, they're buying on the, when you put, so when he held 6.5 you know, million shares, okay, that's a substantial holding. I'm not saying it isn't, but when you increase it by five fold over a period of quarters, you're, you're buying on the come. You're saying, I want this to go from, you know, a million dollars I had in it to, you know, 2 billion or 4 billion or five, whatever it is. And so they're going to be looking dramatically at how do we increase that share price? And it's probably going to be in spite or despite the people who are currently in the management team there. Now, the other Iger or anybody else is going to, they're going to be alarmed and they're going to fight, but I don't think it's a winning fight because they have demonstrated that the, that what they have done or what they are doing has not worked very well. Right. So they're going to be in a real tough position trying to, um, to argue that fact against activist shareholders. Well, now let me ask you this. How effective can activist shareholders be if you have the big uh, institutional investors like Vanguard and BlackRock and that sort of that sort of the group, you know, standing there saying, well, you know, actually we want to go in this direction. How much of a fight would the shareholders have on that front you know, set aside, we got to get rid of Bob Iger on the board. Right. How do you how do you deflect or or uh, you have uh, to you have to build a compelling case. BlackRock. No, you just yeah, no, you have to build a compelling case. You have to say, this is what we see now. This is what we see as the possibilities if we do this and this and this and this. And recognize that all those people that have a big stake out there, they all want the same thing, which is a rising share price. Yeah. So, you know, most times, now especially like Vanguard and people like that, a lot of their holdings are in index funds. You know, they aren't going to be real shareholder activists. But at the same time, they do want the price to go up. And you've got somebody new who's promising he can drive the price up. And you've got the old team there who has sat as the price has gone down. I would say my guess is that those big institutional investors are going to be more inclined towards the changes than they are to the same old, but that remains to be seen. I mean, you don't have any leverage to make them act, Yeah. but what you can do is you can sell them on your vision and bring them around to that. And then they have some clout. 
Well, I just I just look at this and I'm thinking, you know, if I'm if I'm if I'm a shareholder, don't don't the the people on the board understand fiduciary duty? Can can uh, can you ask the question, who are they beholden to at this point? Because you know, yeah, we're we're doing business as usual. Well, business as usual is not getting you anything. I really am surprised that there's not more uh, more of this activity like this. I mean, here's a, a movie financer, TSG, accusing Disney of depriving it of millions of dollars. I'm really surprised that there aren't more suit lawsuits like this one, basically saying. Well, Hey, you guys! You guys haven't made us any money. You're depriving us of all sorts of different things here, profit-wise. Well, this is this is an age-old tactic. I mean, movie studios have done this, you know, kind of funny accounting for forever. Oh yeah, Hollywood to deprive man. partners out of you know profits. They have all kinds of expenses that they charge to the to the movie or whatever it is, the entertainment venue, and and so nobody makes money. You know they. They cry that they didn't make a nickel and on and on and on. Right. Um, but no, I, I think that's absolutely right. And and the longer their stock languishes, um, the more kind of momentum there is for the people who want change. And I think, you know, you got to think with, with the Bob Chapak thing, actually, you know, three years, here comes the momentum for change. Let's bring back the old guy kind of thing. Well, <laughs> except that it didn't work very much, right? Well, and people so, ignored and, the fact that, that the old guy was the guy who created oh, no, all this I mess know. in the I, first place. I, I get all that. Yeah. I mean, I totally get all that. But, you know, people get frustrated and they get angry and then they want change. And sometimes, you know, they'd be better off not to change, but you can't, I mean, the, the people who own the company are in charge and the fiduciary duty is to the shareholders primarily. Right. I mean, you, you have to take into account other stakeholders and stuff too. But uh, when you're on a board of directors, you're basically responsible to the people who own the company. So, um, you know, that they're compelled to act. The problem is that the person who puts you on the board and is your good friend is probably the person sitting at the end of the table. So it makes it very hard for boards to act, even if they want to. Now, is that just typical office politics? And it old, is. It's know. typical. And nobody cares as long as the price just keeps going up and up and up. And Disney's enjoyed decades of that, you know? Yeah. So they got the benefit of the doubt for a long time. They aren't getting the benefit of the doubt now, partly because of their bad publicity over the last two years. So, you know, that, that, in itself may be reason to make a change. Yeah. All right. So we had a question earlier, what the super chats would look like using this new tool. And there it is. $10 super chat from Mazers over on YouTube. Support your favorite channels. One of mine are these fine folks. Thank you very much for that, sir. And look <laughs> that, that, that chat, that super chats even got the little, it's even got a little animated squiggly thing there that says, you know, we got some bling here. So that's very cool. That's nice. Thank you, Mazers. <clears throat> so, how likely is it 
that Peltz and his cadre would be able to get some of their people on the board? Is that are they is Disney more vulnerable to that now than they were back in February when all of this came up first? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I can't give you percentages, but I just feel like somebody with that big a stake in the business. And like you said, he may have allies uh, with other shareholders as well. Uh, I just I just think the chances are better that you'll get somebody seated on the board. What are the odds that this also leads to Bob Iger's ouster? I think that's I, th- I think that's likely too. I think you also, I mean, Bob Iger is what seventy two already, something like that. Yeah. So I mean, he already retired once. I think that <laughs> the change yeah. comes, retire, quote unquote, retired. Exactly. Yeah. But if the change comes and if it's dramatic, um, I I think there's a good chance that he will retire uh, more permanently. The other question on all of this with regard to Iger, and this and this gets us into our other thing. Because it came out, I don't know when it was, uh, well, I, it, was, it was when all of this FTX stuff first broke. And uh, Kevin, crap, what's his name? Uh, Shark Tank, Kevin somebody. Mr. Wonderful. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know who you're talking um, about. Bald headed. Yeah. He came yeah. out and he was on he was on one of the one of the business shows. I want to say it was on CNBC, but I, I may have that wrong. And he let slip that Bob Iger personally was a big investor in FTX cryptocurrency. And I haven't heard anything discussed about that since, other than here in the YouTube sphere and in the indie in the indie media space, a lot of us discussed it, but it hasn't been on the radar for the for the mainstream news media. Could that come into play if it turns out that Iger's involvement in FTX was more heavily? real than any of us even suspect? I would say only if it created like a conflict of interest in some fashion with uh, Disney and stuff. I mean, no. there, there are a lot of very prominent people who own shares, you know, cryptocurrencies or held stuff at FTX. Um, and that in itself uh, isn't, isn't necessarily problematic. But if, if there were, decisions made in any fashion with Disney uh, that, that favored FTX and it was shown to be because of people at Disney and their holdings, then you be, then you run into a conflict of interest of sorts. And yeah. That could be problematic. Yes. Yeah. Kevin O'Leary. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Sir, Michael. That's him. Um, yes, I'm so, so let, so that gives us our segue into the FTX trial because Cameron Pasha has put forth a theory from the very beginning of all of this, that the timing of that news breaking about FTX being a big Ponzi scheme and all of the where's the money, that broke just before Bob Chapek was let go by the Disney company in a rather unceremonious, weird fashion. 
if you can be generous about that. I mean, that was whatever, however, whatever, however that all went down. And Cameron's theory, and I don't know how close he is to this, but his theory has been that the Walt Disney Company is exposed with this FTX scandal in a way that nobody knows, that that maybe Disney was more heavily invested in FTX than anybody realizes. And there have been people that came out after all of that saying, you know, no, there's not anything. We've looked at all of the documents, all the data. There's nothing to indicate that Disney had any shares in FTX or any, any money invested in that. But if Bob Iger had his own personal money invested in it, how exposed would he be and then how exposed would the Walt Disney Company be just by association on that? Because all, all the money's gone. And if Disney invested in FTX under the table right. Right. and, you know, however many billions of dollars have just whooshed into the wind because of all, you know, all of the spending that Alameda Research did because they had access to these dollars that they shouldn't ought to have had. How bad yeah, does that hurt that, Disney? Uh, so, well, it depends on the size of the state. Number one is that, you know, it, it takes a lot of money to materially affect Disney. So, you know, if it was billions of dollars and somebody did it and shouldn't have done it or somebody knew and shouldn't have known, then that potentially is an issue for uh, that person and Disney and the management team. No. Nobody's. I mean, I've heard. I've discussed that with him in the past, and and nobody has. That smoking gun has not surfaced yet. I, I I understand that it might, and if it does, then there could potentially be problems there. Yeah. Uh, especially if there are other people, who like at that point in time, um, Iger was not part of the management team or whatever. But if he was exerting influence or something. But, but I also think those are hypotheticals, so yeah. it's really hard to say at this point. Yeah, two scoops that says FTX was supposed to the Hulu debt. Yeah, well, it's like everything else. You'd have to prove it somehow. True. But if yeah. it could be proven that that all happened and that you know people should have known better, then I think that's a potential problem. But I've not I've not seen evidence of that at this point. So the takeaways uh, on the trial. For for Sam Bankman-Fried, I'm. This is worse than uh, what's his name? Oh, what's who's the 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 Ponzi guy that got yeah, all Bernie of the Madoff. yeah Bernie Madoff. This this is worse yeah. than Bernie Madoff because not only is the, are we talking about billions of dollars, but we're also looking at money laundering into various political parties and 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 politicians and people there. And, you know, the whole Ukraine thing adds another layer of, you know, headache, I guess you could say. You know, this unbelievability factor, how could they possibly have believed they could get away with this is, is my question. Because the stuff that's coming out in the trial, at least the first week, I, I, I don't understand how anybody could have gotten as far as they did with the amount of corruption. I mean, there's stupid, there's ignorant, and then there's deliberate. And there's a yeah. fine line here between, between the two where it comes to Sam Bankman freed. I mean, is he a, is he, a, is he an idiot or did he just get caught doing something he shouldn't ought to do? 
You know, uh, a couple of things. <laughs> I, I'd say, first of all, he's, he's probably a mathematics savant. So yeah. you can't say he's an idiot. You can, I mean, in terms of mathematics, I think he's probably really, really, really bright. And he had uh, used that, especially in the early days of FTX, to really score some, some substantial uh, gains on trading crypto and stuff like that. So um, I don't think you can take that away from him. I, I, my, my guess is two, two things that really stand out. One is this is new territory, right? So everything they were doing was stuff that had not been done before. There, 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 weren't, there weren't regulated crypto markets. There weren't people who understood what crypto was. So they weren't getting the kind of scrutiny that you would get, say, trading a stock or something like that. Yeah. So that, that's all one thing. And then the other thing I'd say is, and I've been around people like this before. Uh, I've got friends that are like this. There are people out there who are, are, are just so bright and so good on their feet they think they can do anything. I mean, they genuinely believe they can talk their way out of anything. So their kind of personality is, I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. And if anybody raises questions later, I'll just talk my way out of it. And I think there's an element of that here with, with SBF. I, I think he is one of those guys that he, he kind of lived without a lot of scrutiny and he kind of, he supposedly, I'm reading the book now that's uh, the one by, uh, I think the guy's name is Foe, who wrote for Bloomberg or somebody else. Mm -hmm. And it's called Number Go Up. Right. And so it's the same. It's just, it, it's, so the two big books out there right now are the one I'm reading and the one by Michael Lewis, uh, both about this whole situation. Uh, the one I'm reading uh, says that, um, I, I should have brought it so I'd have the quote, but basically said that anytime you talk to SBF, you could see he was calculating in his head the kind of probabilities of the various outcomes. Everything from, you know, what do I eat to do I take a break now? I mean, one of the examples they gave is he doesn't like to sleep because when he sleep, he can't be trading and making money. Okay, so <laughs> there's these probabilities going on all the time. Well, if he assesses that the probability of him getting in trouble is low, but the possibility is that he's going to make a lot of money on it, that's probably where he's going to go. And I think he would still be flying high today had they not encountered the disruption that caused everything to fall apart. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's like the, it's almost the black swan or the hurricane or whatever it is that blows everything up. And now all of a sudden you, you can't get your feet and you can't get back again. And I think that's probably where they are. Well, here's, I do think here, deliberate rule breaking, no question. Yeah. No question. Well, they were doing things that they knew would not work if they were trading stocks in New York city. That's why they were in the Bahamas yeah. is because they thought they could do that kind of stuff. Well, and, and two scoops in the chat says the crypto bros already took a look at Disney at the Miami convention last year and chose not to float the mouse. So maybe maybe we're not maybe we're looking at this backwards. Maybe it's not Disney investing in FTX. Maybe Disney was courting FTX to get money to to like uh, like they were saying earlier, like uh, he said to float the Hulu stuff and the ESPN thing. 
And that didn't work out because FTX went belly up. And now, oh, crap, where are we going to get the money to buy the Hulu shares that we're going to have to do regardless because the deal says we have to or else? Maybe maybe, yeah. maybe we've been looking at this backwards this yeah. whole time. Well, there's no question they were flush with a ton of money, at least at one time. I mean, they spent you know hundreds of million dollars for naming rights for stadiums for endorsements from Tom Brady and, and others, Larry David and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, the money, the money, at least on paper was almost unbelievable money anyway. Yeah. And, and then the other thing I'd say is that they, this, this altruism thing that they pitched, you know, <laughs> I've seen this before. We had a, a kind of a, situation in my family where you know my spouse was on the school board and uh, it blew up and it was really ugly and people went to prison and uh and, and one of the things that they would justify things with would they be saying well we're doing it for the kids i mean we're doing crooked stuff but it's for the kids right kind of thing right. you know yeah. i think with this altruism kind of thing these guys were sort of insulated in that well, you know, we're making money to give money away. We're trying to do good in the world. So what if we break a rule here and there to, you know, kind of do that? I think that ignores the reality that, you know, they were flying to the Super Bowl and spending millions of dollars on things for their own personal benefit uh, while they were saying they were trying to save the world. So. So where does it go after this? I mean... The, let's let's say he's let's say he's found guilty. He goes to prison. Right. All yeah. all of that money is still gone. Yeah, they're they're saying now that some of the trades they made, some of the investments they made, you know, when they'll go back up in value again, and so maybe the investors will be made whole. Of course, that ignores completely the opportunity cost. If you'd had your own money during this time. What would have it earned? In other words, that so yes, I lost a hundred thousand dollars, and yes, I may get back a hundred thousand dollars, but in the meantime, I could have taken that hundred thousand dollars and invested it someplace else yeah. and done something with it. That's gone forever, no matter what. And the notion that you might get the money back is at this point just somebody's speculation. So yeah, no, I, that money's gone. the The crypto market is changed forever. Um, I still don't know. None of us know whether uh, it's a long-term thing or not. The book I'm reading kind of gives the impression that, you know, a lot of it was just made out of whole cloth. Yeah. A lot of these people were people who, you know, were very creative and probably destructive and that those markets may not last into the future. Only the future will tell us whether that's right or not, but there's no question. It will never be going forward what it was in the past because of this, this thing. Well, and, and we've got here Patrick McKenzie writing over in the free press, crypto fooled us once it will fool us again. And he talks about the book that you're reading and the other one that you mentioned talking, talking specifically about this case with, with Bankman Freed. Right. But McKenzie uses that as a, as a platform, as a foundation for his argument that crypto is all a big scam anyway. And he's been sitting there now, 
let's let's be clear that crypto and blockchain are different things. Cryptocurrency uses the blockchain technology. And you and I have talked about this a number of times, Dan, about how that whole thing works right. in terms of verification and legitimacy and all this other thing, tracking and whatnot. But does McKinsey have a point with this article? So I've, I've read it. I sent it to you. He's talking about how rife cryptocurrency is with the potential for fraud and how this whole thing is just a big ball of nothing because you you put money into this thing and then what? Where does it go? It, there's no you know like we talked about. There's no tangible asset here. I don't have I don't have a piece of silver that I can hold up and say, hey, I invested in silver. Well, there's no there's no uh, transparency. So uh, the guy who wrote the book that I'm reading, uh, he spends a lot of time. Really, much of the research that he did was in his efforts to try to expose Tether which was one of the crypto yeah. currencies. And Tether was supposed to be uh, backed basically by the dollar. So supposedly for every, every coin you had, there was a dollar's worth of reserves behind the coin. But what he found out is it's almost impossible to verify that. And, and his kind of conclusion was that, or is, I've not read the entire book, so I don't know what his final conclusion is. Uh, but that when you don't have transparency and when, you know, it's hard to verify this kind of stuff, that it invites crooks into the system. Yeah. And so it's not that cryptocurrencies are all crooked. It's just that there are players out there who are nefarious because there is no scrutiny and that it's almost impossible to verify some of this stuff. Yeah. And he also makes, you know, that same argument was part of what happened um, you know, with Bahama boy is there was nobody looking over his shoulder. So he could make these massive bets with the client's money and nobody knew any better as long as they kept winning. Right. And right. he got to keep a lot of the gains from that. But when they stopped it, you know, Warren Buffett has a thing. He says, you know, when, the, when the tide goes out, we find out who's been swimming without any trunks. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens here. As long as, as long as everybody's making money, it's no issue. But all of a sudden when somebody loses a bunch of money and they can no longer cover the withdrawals and stuff, that's when, that's when, you know, it hits the fan. And, and we're talking on the order of something like what, 18, $20 billion. I mean, it's not a, it's not a small piece of, no. of change. It's, it's a lot of money. Even with the Disney thing, I was thinking about that today. We were talking about two and a half billion is the Pelts holdings for him and his clients. Yeah, you know, a billion dollars is you know that that's that's a thousand million. You know, we used to talk about a millionaire, and that was a big deal. When you talk about a billionaire, you're talking about somebody that's got, you know, lots. I mean, this this is you can buy whatever airplane you want. OK, <laughs> right. there are a lot of people out there who are rich, but they can't afford an airplane. But if you got a billion dollars, you can afford an airplane. And when you start talking about multiples of a billion, you're in la la land. Man. Yeah. And uh, so now you're talking about Sam Bankman Freed, who's you know 30 years old or 28 years old or whatever he is, who basically through Alameda and his crypto exchange, was sitting on tops of billions upon billions of dollars and nobody's watching. 
this is kind of what you get. Yeah. And even if he was, I mean, Michael Lewis, I think, kind of made his, his book, supposedly Infinite Dollars or whatever it is, is sort of sympathetic to uh, SBF. Um, so even if you give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, he didn't mean to, which is kind of hard to believe based on some of the testimony we've heard. But even if you give him the benefit of the doubt, you got to scratch your head and say, billions upon billions upon billions and nobody's checking this guy well it's, not only that but the company the biggest company that was dipping into all of that alameda was being run yeah. being run by his ex-girlfriend of course yeah i mean and I, they were mixing the they were mixing the money they were mixing their money with the money that belonged to clients yeah. that was on the exchange and they're making huge bets they're like i say if you don't get caught so you know that's not and I don't want to get into an intricacies about bankings and stuff, but at the bank, you know, everybody's money kind of mixes together. Yeah. But there are rules and there are regulators who make sure that you're not spending too much money on your weekend retreat, that you can't pay off your depositors if they want their money back. Right. Right. There, there's, a, there's oversight. There's a say, you know, when you're talking these billions and billions upon dollars and they're in the Bahamas and nobody's quite sure what they're talking about anyway, it's, it's just a huge opportunity for somebody, number one, who is fraudulent and crooked, but even if they aren't fraudulent and crooked, it's still an opportunity. Yeah. Well, and two scoops says sure get ready. Yeah. Two scoops gets, says get ready for a pump and dump stock split buyback or something. <laughs> I, I, I mean, can can FTX as a company be saved at this point? I mean, I don't even see how would yeah, you, how would you do that? I don't see how it's it's in receivership now. Okay, it's not impossible. I mean, there's a you know there's a court court appointed trustee, and it, it, his job is to collect as much money as they can and yeah. pass it back out to the people who you know were depositors and stuff there's an outside chance that that could happen. And there's an outside chance that at some point in time, the court would allow them to sell the company back to somebody else or something like that. That's an outside chance, but it's not likely. And especially a company that's lost that kind of uh, money in the past or been involved in this kind of thing. Uh, there's reputational damage that probably, yeah. you know, it'd be really hard to overcome. So you'd be better off probably starting with something that looks like it from the ground up rather than taking over what's there. So if so so that means that means there's an opportunity there for somebody to create a new cryptocurrency. So Always. we could we could get in on the ground floor here, Dan, you and I, we could we could start this we could start sci fi for me tokens or something. That's We're, we'll call uh, it call it form we could form, we could start Dan J yeah. and uh, it's a new coin. <laughs> And uh, they're thousand dollars a piece, and uh, you know, but you know that's the other thing is that even even this crypto stuff, even what they were doing there, could not be done in the United States because of the securities laws. You can't raise money from people in an IPO without meeting certain criteria, you know, yeah. which is why they were in Hong Kong and why they were in the Bahamas and not in the United States. 
Well, but there are people out there that are doing this stuff all the time. They're just in other parts of the world. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this because we we talk about blockchain a little bit, and and alternative media starts to to creep into that because Odyssey and and Rumble both are out there now, and they're using this kind of thing. But you talk about the SEC uh, library, which is the 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 parent entity for Odyssey. Uh, has been in legal battles with with the with the SEC for a number of months now, uh, because of their cryptocurrency, their blockchain technology, and all of that, and they're countersuing the SEC. And I've been in contact with people at Odyssey, basically trying to figure out, okay, what can we do, tools wise, analytic. I mean, here's all these different features that we need, and I'm getting told that there's a lot of stuff that they want to do with the Odyssey platform that they can't do yet because of all of this legal stuff with the SEC. So once all of that's in place, how, why, I, I can understand the SEC would need to get involved at some level on regulating this stuff, but blockchain and all of that stuff is not, you know, it ignores borders, does it not? I mean, right. it doesn't yes. really matter where you are in terms of this, because it's not a particular denomination currency-wise. Right. It's just this, it's just this ethereal, digital call thing it, somewhere, somewhere. Call it a super spreadsheet. So let's, you know, uh, th th there's nothing illegal or nothing that really needs to be regulated in a big way about the blockchain. It's the, it's the securitization that makes it so... If, if you and I are going to start a company, mm -hmm. okay, and we're, we plan to raise money from the public to start our company, that's where the SEC gets involved. They okay. have rules about how you do that. Now, if, if, if it's just you and me and a couple of friends and we want to fund a company, we can do whatever we want. But if we're going to try to sell shares to outsiders, then you have to comply with certain rules. And it's the same with, so that's where this whole thing comes down with the Federal Reserve and with the SEC. It's that if I'm going to start a currency and the public is going to use it or have access to it, is that a security or is it not? And I, that's not been decided yet. I mean, that's part of the issue here. Yeah. So that's where they run into people saying, well, you know, if we had been regulating things the way we regulate stocks, then some of this would not have happened in the past. On the other hand, as you say, it's international, it's worldwide. You can't, there are no worldwide governance boards. There is no Securities and Exchange Commission for the world. There is only one for the United States and there may be one in the Bahamas, but it doesn't have the same teeth as the one in the United States. Yeah, so, and, and I don't know that I'd want a world body at no, all I, doing no, any right. of that anyway. <laughs> Some of the attractiveness of the cryptocurrencies and stuff, the DeFi whole thing was to get it away from international influence. I mean, they, they don't want the United States controlling the currency. They don't want anybody else doing that. Yeah. And you can understand that for, in terms of secrecy and things like that. But there's also no protections for the public under that, which is where you run into the problems. Crazy times. 
crazy time. And of course, we've got we've got the the trial continues this week, and I'm yeah. sure because uh, ex girlfriend, what's her name, is their star witness. She was, uh, you know, she she was turned, on this morning, and they said she stood right up and pointed him out and said, "I did illegal stuff because that guy told me to." Um, wow, that was just one of the reports I heard earlier. So at some point in time, I see. I think the trial, in a sense, goes back kind of to what I said earlier, which is there, there are these people who are, because they're really bright and because they have a pattern in their life of, of talking themselves out of trouble. Right. I think the trial is a little bit like that. He, he thinks he can get up there on the stand or maybe not, or his lawyers, and convince everybody that this is just some kind of giant mistake. Look at me. I'm, I'm a nice guy. This, you know, I didn't do anything. Uh, well, now I it, doubt if that's going to work, but it doesn't surprise me if he thinks it might. But there's precedent there, Dan, because there have been cases, and I'm thinking about one in particular, where the director of the FBI got up in front of the press and rattled off all of this activity a certain particular political candidate was was accused of doing. And here's this, and here's this, and here's that, and here's that. But she didn't intend to break the law, so we're not going to prosecute her. So, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried might have it in the bag, and we don't know about it, because all he's got to do is just say, look, she didn't go to jail because she didn't intend to commit a crime. I didn't intend to commit a crime. I, I'm, I'm a victim of my own circumstance here. What we saw with the uh, school board, which admittedly is a very small sample size, but yeah. it's just what I'm telling. I was dealing with, uh, well, I wasn't directly, but my wife was dealing with the FBI and other people. And one of the things that they would say is, you know, uh, being incompetent is not illegal. So, <laughs> right. you know, even if you did terrible things, if you did them because you were stupid and incompetent, you probably didn't break the law. And of course, everybody claimed that they were incompetent. <laughs> you know, right. also these people who were getting paid a lot of money and had done their job, had all these credentials and stuff. Also, well, I didn't know any better. You know, well, you don't know. But and you know, Jesse James was much beloved by people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. it, you know, there is a Robin Hood kind of thing, so we can't predict what's going to happen. But I think no matter what happens. Uh, the testimony at this point has been damning and it's going to be, even, even if he's acquitted, there's documentary evidence that he did bad things no matter what. Right. Right. And then I guess the other, the other part of that is, you know, on the, on the Ponzi see the Ponzi scheme side of things, you know, you've got the fraud and, you know, the wire fraud and all of that. Right. But there's another element to this that really is not in our purview here because of the things that we talk about and don't talk about, but the political aspect of it. You know, yes. the the money laundering and, you know, you've got the, the Ukraine angle, you've got all of the different politicians who got donations from FTX and all of that side of things. And I haven't really seen a whole lot of media coverage about that part yet. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the... There was one a little of bit of that. that. One of the quotes that astounded me, and I think it was in the materials you sent to me, was fully two-thirds of, uh, of uh, people in Congress got some kind of money from uh, the company, yeah. from FTX. 
Yeah. And I, and I saw a list of that at one point somewhere. And yes, it does lean very heavily toward one particular political party over another. But both political parties are implicated in that. And, yes. And it could be real. And I'm not saying that any of the politicians did anything wrong. It's, you know, people want no, to give me, give me money, they give yeah. me money. Okay, fine. But the fact that so much money went to the left. In in both for political uh, political candidates and organizations, you know right. that whole thing that there, everything everything is sketchy at this point, and then you then you factor in the stuff going on in Ukraine, whatever they were right. involved in there, and it's like this is a bad Tom Clancy novel at this point, or or who who wrote the fur John Grisham. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a, a a bastard child of John Grisham and and Tom Clancy, and it's not written very well. And I nobody knows what the end is going to be yet. That's exactly right. It's but I, crazy. I've been surprised by a couple of things. I've been surprised uh, the the lady in uh, California who uh, had the medical testing thing, and she was convicted, you know, very quickly. Oh yeah, uh, when that blew up, and uh, also the guy down in. Uh, in the South, the lawyer who, you know, was convicted of killing his wife and his son. Um, I, I thought that all the political ties and stuff there would help him out and they didn't help him out at all. Yeah. So I guess I, I'm optimistic that, uh, if, if things were done wrong here and somebody broke the law, then they will be convicted, but we'll have to wait and see. Let me ask you this on the way out. It, just in terms of general world events and all of the stuff that's going on, do you think there will ever be a reckoning for the bad guys that we know are bad guys? Because they, the bad guys seem to be getting away with a lot. At, at yeah, some point, it's got to fall is, apart. You know, I, used to, I used to be really close to uh, Charlie Shields, who was president of the uh, Missouri Senate at one time. Yeah, I, I, and, uh, I, I made to, TV I campaigns to... for him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, great guy. One of the most gifted politicians I've ever met. And I used to lament to him kind of about that. And he said, Danny, all we can count on or all we can hope for is that good prevails over bad in the end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So and, and there and are no guarantees. And but, it's very telling that Charlie Shields is no longer in politics. No, he is not. You know, he, uh, he got out. And I, you know, that's a shame. Because I think he had some good things to say, but he got uh, out just as just as things turned really dirty. Yeah, and uh, when I talked to him about it, that was really part of it. He said, "I just don't have the heart to do that kind of campaigning and stuff." Yeah. So, uh, good man, and he made he did a lot of good things while he while he served as well. Yep. All right. All right, well, we will let Dan have the last word there on that. Dan Danford, he is the CEO and president of uh, Family Investment Center. Family Investment Services. I don't know why I keep getting that wrong. Family Investment Center. It, it, it had, right. I did have it right the first time. All right. So yeah. the, the links to his YouTube channel and other things are in the show notes. Dan, if you want to stick around, we're doing we're going to do call-in next hour. And I know you, you're you a very busy person. so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have to leave you, but I'll go back and check on the notes and stuff after the show. All right. So uh, on that note, we will uh, take a break and we will start with your calls. 
Uh, we'll put the link in the chat for everybody. Y'all can join in. Dan, thanks for being here. Everybody hey, else, stay tuned. We will be right back. Podcasting is our superpower. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Sci-Fi For Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. All right, here we go, back live from the bunker. And now it's your turn. Now it's your turn, ladies and gentlemen. Michael says he's going to wait so other people can call in. So let's do this. All right, the link is in the chat. Join the show. Share your thoughts. Let me uh, let me get around to where I can pin that in places. <laughs> Cam's is too angry to call in. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little righteous anger every now and again. I guess, maybe, right? Sort of? Kind of? I don't know. Cam, what are you angry about? You angry about uh, uh, Penguin Random House dropping D&D? Because we had that story. I mean, there's there's all sorts of things out there to be to be talking about. I mean, world events being what they are, but too unfocused. Oh, okay, all right. Well, that's when you know there's there's nothing wrong with that. See, that's the that's the uh, that's the role of the host is to focus the topics and and to do that. See, it's like Russ Limbaugh said, y'all are here to make me look good. Can that can can that happen? Can people call in and and uh, make me look good? I don't know. Mazer says paladins in World of Warcraft have a move called Righteous Fury. They're supposed to be keepers of the light and justice of the game. Uh, are they keeping the paladins? I hear they're getting rid of witches and they're getting rid of a couple of other things because uh, supposedly it's like those are real people. We don't want to offend anybody who's really a witch by having a witch in our books. Which is dumb. But okay. Uh, by the way, we talked about the... Uh, we talked about the stock price for Disney. I want to also pull up the stock price for Rumble, uh, which is at five twenty-one a share. It's tiny. It's a tiny amount. Uh, I'm not, uh, and I am not giving you any financial advice whatsoever, or an invention, or, or investment advice, or whatnot. But just saying, Rumble is at uh, five twenty-one a share. All right, let's start. Cam one one three eight joining the call. Welcome, sir. How you doing? I mean, good. Really, good afternoon. Really, how you doing? <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> okay. So, what do you got? Well, I, I don't have I don't have anything in particular. Uh, the, the, you mentioned about Watsi and and D and D stuff, and I've been um, you know kind of starting to look into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and you know, they just they continue to be more ridiculous every day. I mean, they're they're demonstrating exactly uh, if you were to look up virtue signaling. Um, you would just, you know, synonym would be Watsi. It's it's just <laughs> right. empty, uh, nonsensical gestures 
And and I don't know. I, I honestly don't know who believes this kind of thing at this point. Um, do they really? I mean, they has there is there anybody that's uh, insulted by there being a character with the category of witch or druid? You know, I don't know that I've seen anybody that's expressed frustration about that, but I have not been on top of all of the all of the the D and D RPG stuff over the years. I mean, I know people were upset about orcs apparently being blacks, and um, that's ridiculous on the face of it. Yes. It's like, hang on, if you're making that assumption, what does that say about you? Well, that's you know. exactly the point. It's like again, I I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons, or I I should I I should say I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was twelve years old. the The amount of racism that I've ever experienced or witnessed is non-existent. I mean, yeah. no one that I ever knew said, you know, I think that fantasy monster represents some element of humanity. And, and I mean, even if you go back to to Tolkien, orcs racially didn't represent anything they represented the hatred that men could descend into but it had nothing to do with race if anything it was referring to his experience in world war one which was white europeans largely yeah so i mean the the whole thing is just i mean it just underscores what a ridiculous state society is in where where these things that utterly lack substance stand in for substance yeah yeah uh by the way fat steven zagal who is usually over on uh culture casinos show saturday uh sunday nights he gives us a two dollar rumble rant and it looks it looks pretty much like uh like the super chat over on youtube there two dollars hi tom you look so good today well thank you very much i'm not quite tom mazer says orcs represented all the vile things we could devolve to that's one thing to say. Yes. All right, Michael's going to join the call as well. Let me flip that around. Hello, Michael, because I know Michael's a big D&D guy. Y'all can, can talk amongst yourselves. The battle commences. Oh, yeah. let me, before, before we do this, let me do this, because this just got posted. Uh, the Dungeon Delver over on uh, Twitter posting this update from uh, Ernie Gygax's sister. Uh, Ernie apparently has been in poor health. Ernie, of course, the son of Gary Gygax. Ernie and Heidi were the ones who were the original beta testers uh, game-playing Dungeons & Dragons when it was first put together. Uh, she says, My brother has made another amazing return from the edge. I spoke with him this morning. He sounds great, although he's frustrated the weakness of his body and the cycle of convalescing. He has a wonderful cardiac team that saved his life, and he has some broken ribs from the compressions. But he's glad to be with us for a while longer. So apparently he had a had a heart attack. Uh, one of his specialists keeps reminding him he's going to die from this, but he stubbornly has gotten past at least two, if not three, episodes in the last several weeks. The medical professionals didn't think he would survive. Uh, that said, he's by no means out of the woods or the hospital, but he went from life support and non-responsive to breathing, talking, eating, and laughing. So grateful to have more time with my big brother, who I will visit with in a few days. So, so uh, that uh, to keep in mind, uh, Ernie Gygax in uh, in some health battles there. Uh, those of you who are are familiar with the Gygax crew, uh, you can uh, you can share your thoughts and and uh, keep them in your prayers for those of you who do that. 
So, all right, gentlemen, the, 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 the whole D&D thing, the whole Watsy thing, you know, what, what does it mean to you guys uh, who play the game? What does it mean to you as fans that Penguin Random House has dropped D&D as of the end of 2023? We're not going to distribute any D&D stuff anymore at all. I mean, there's still other distribution channels, but Penguin Random House was the biggest one. This hurts. I'd like to know who initiated this. Um, it, it, uh, the, I'm not sure which which it is. Who, what side caused this? Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm not sure how to how to take it exactly. It would. My first thought is this would fall in line with with Watsi's digital plan. Yeah. Um, they really don't care about the books, and and they would like to push people into their subscription service. Yeah, because they're all um, Microsoft guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, because yet they don't, and yet they didn't ban necromancers from uh from the from the wording. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so if well, it, if it was Penguin Random House that initiated this and not Watsy, what does that say to you? Well, I there's there um, Professor Dungeon Master uh, uh, did some. I think it was him that he did some calculations. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I might be misspeaking about who did it, but someone did some calculations about the actual books sold. And I think it came in, uh, the, you know, the estimate was that even if they were being very um, generous is that the amount of books sold isn't matching what the, the popularity would indicate is, is the case. No. Um, so now whether people are getting them digitally or otherwise, but so it, it might be something that just isn't profitable for anybody. Um, to be doing this, you know, they, they've raised the prices on the books to the point where, you know, it's questionable whether it's a value. And then, you know, the, we know that they're going to be changing things on the fly. So you're going to, you know, you're going to get a book. And by the time you get it in your hands, it's not going to be current in, in all likelihood. You yeah. know, so that's not a very good, uh, <laughs> you know, that's not a very good sell. Yeah. The, the, um, uh, I, I kind as a as a fan and sitting back, I'm going I'm going like, eh, it doesn't really matter anyways because on uh, uh because economics wise, I I real I can really get a lot more out by um by uh, buying P by buying the electronic books and PDFs at this point. Uh, one, they don't take up they don't take up as much floor space, and really the only reason that I buy. The, that I would buy physical books uh, anymore is because is because of the um, uh, the glitz and the artwork to go with it because it's far easier for me to just uh, hit uh, go to go to Adobe hit search type in what I'm looking for and then and then find the references in the P that I would need in a PDF for a rules edu ed ugh, education um, so really you know so. The, the thing is, the only things that I buy are, are the the only reason that I would buy books are because they're the gl glitzy, glamorous looking, or or the um or the only favorite book of mine, the only favorite favorite beyond everything else game of mine, which is the uh, uh, Traveler science fiction RPG. Uh, that that that's that's my foolishness where it's like. Oh, someone printed a book about such and such, and there's only one line of new content. Here, take my money. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, is that 
I, you know, I, I'm, I'm still sitting outside of all of this because I haven't played, I haven't played D and D in forever. I haven't done role playing games, and I don't know when. Probably, probably since high school, and that's thirty plus years. So you know, I'm looking at all this, and I'm, I'm still trying to play catch up on who all the players are. And it doesn't seem to me that Watsy really it has been making very smart decisions when it comes to um, all of this stuff. But it doesn't feel like the people that are running Watsy really are the people who should be running Watsy because they don't have the experience in RPGs that they need. You know, in, in going all digital and all of this stuff and doing updates that really don't have a whole lot of new material in them, it just seems like we're spitting into the wind here a little bit but maybe that's just me on the outside looking in and not really getting what's going on i uh pay attention i pay uh attention to the other streams and streamers uh to to get my uh D &D news generally and one of the things that has come up uh recently besides the distribution was that um the major um the major distributor of Magic the Gathering, um, I forgot the name of the business, and I'm sure people more knowledgeable will Troll say. Troll and Toad, I think it is. In 1999, they started carrying, uh, they started carrying uh, uh, Magic in 1999, and have carried it and have carried it up until uh, January. They they have announced that it is no longer profitable for them, to, um, no longer profitable for them to. Uh, uh, sell magic either in terms of having the singles because um, the singles uh, destroy the because of how um, Watsi is uh, reprinting singles it destroys the market value uh, it destroys the market value slash speculative value and also for the um, oh, brain cramp for the uh, for the uh, new box sets for the new for the new box sets and new releases because of the sheer glut of um, because uh, of product that they had been printing out. So this company that has that their primary their pri you know not the only um, uh, card game because I don't do card games uh, much. Um, I like Vampire the Masquerade though or Jihad the uh, Eternal Struggle or whatever. But What's happened since then is that they're saying they're cutting they're they're cutting magic out of their lives and only no longer buying new of anything, and they're going to basically sell off their inventory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, jo jo let me let me reinterrupt real quick and welcome Fat Steven Zagal to the chat, to the call. Hi, How you doing, man? First, Hello, Hi, first, first time, time first time. Yeah, thank you for having me. I know you'll kick me in five minutes because, you know, I have woo-woo <laughs> in my name. Uh, but, no, he was bringing up a point. I don't know if this is related. It's, it, you're talking about the reissues, like how they're reissuing, like, the Black Lotus and all the rare cards that have been around for so long that they have that value, and they're kind of demeaning them. It's like they're taking away the legacy of why Magic older cards are so valuable. Well, and the, the Black Lotus thing was a specific thirty. I'm using as a reference. I'm using as a reference. Yeah, example. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean. But it's, it, I think it's at the point now where companies are sick of losing money. They can no longer also support the ideology, so they're going to go with different brands, different ways to entice people. Because as much as they want to be on the quote their right side of history, the profits are not on the right side of their history, and that's what we were seeing across the board. I think a lot of it also do is what do we value more? 
money or changing to the minority. And I think the minority has done so much destruction that companies are pulling out, but using reasonings like this and that to just distance themselves. And I could be wrong on this. Well, you are right about that. They are undercutting the secondary market there. They've, <clears throat> they've decided that other people getting money from a collectible game, which it, you know, it was from the beginning is that they can cut into that. And, and they're doing it, like you say, by reprinting certain, certain cards that have value, <clears throat> which of course drives the, the secondary market value down. Um, but they're really undercutting themselves ultimately because they're devaluing the product that everybody buys. Um, you know, new because the the whole premise that has existed from the very beginning is that they're collectibles and they do have some value in as collectibles and for playing. And when they uh, when they way overprint things the way they are, it, it destroys that secondary value. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I can understand because I used to collect Funko before it became mainstream, and back then it was rare items. And as soon as you got reissues, it started creating a secondary market. Okay, do you have the right box? Okay, do you have the right sticker? And that's pretty much what's being applied here, right? You're pretty much segregating the market into different markets, hoping you can get an original. And then you have people who can produce the fakes and then over um, reissuing of already ones that were out there were considered rare are no longer considered rare. Right, right. yeah. And I was gonna say, and one of the things uh, to normalize the idea for for true competitiveness, um, you know, the um, many of the cards were many of the cards, regardless of rare, regardless of rarity, um, are, are are declared illegal to use in in tournament play because of the because of their dis, um, because of the disruption that they would cause in a uh, in a turn in a tournament situation. So what happens is it's not just the it's not just the rarity. There's also um, the idea of uh, uh, it's the idea of printing gluts of cards that aren't that you know basically people use to um, you know prove their dominance in a in a more or less even competitive game. So the thing is, um, but when it comes to those rares, whether or not they're whether or not they're um, allowed or not that you know that value that value is what drives um initial set sales once people find out a a specific type of car a specific card exists well let me ask this because this is this goes back because you're talking about the rarities and the reprints and all of that you've got also in that mix magic the gathering doing cards based on other intellectual properties like the lord of the rings cards or you know stuff like that are those one are those how do those impact the value of regular magic cards and can the ip based cards be used in tournament play yeah no. I'm, I'm completely out of my element here so i'm asking this check I can explain it briefly. Yeah. The, the their universes beyond line, which is I think so far they had Warhammer, Lord of the Rings, and Doctor Who just came. Actually, the, the street date is only is actually in a few days, um, and and those have all sold extremely well and uh, seem to be profitable. Um, but those are are not cards that are stand. You can't use them in standard form. Standard format is kind of like the 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 continually rotate or it has like a three i think it's a three-year rotation now um where it's you know the tournament legal things but um you know so it those kinds of cards are not 
generally usable in, in that format. Now, but, but even that, they've kind of messed that up too. So, you know, there are all these other formats, but, but the most popular one I believe today is Commander, which is really a free-for-all. You can kind of use that. <clears throat> it's, it's a casual format, and you can use pretty much anything there. Uh, that your group doesn't specifically say, well, no, you can't. So there might they might have some use in in those alternate formats uh, with those, but I I don't think that the play value of those is going to drive their value. I think it's really well. I think that with Watsi has probably appealed to people outside of Magic successfully. You know, Lord of the Rings fans and Warhammer fans and, and Doctor Who fans, and so I think that's why those sales on those products are good. But I can't back that up with numbers yeah. by the way death angel shadow asks how hasbro is doing let me pull this out in 59 38 a share right now um and you see it's doing a little bouncy ball thing kind of like what disney stock is doing so th this is year to date you can see it's dipped uh all the way down to 47 15 back in march and it's climbing and it's spiked and it's coming down again so over the past year it's done the bouncy ball thing so you know it's it's kind of not not great but not bad i guess i blame the uh reva lightsaber not selling I think that's the <laughs> biggest biggest issue Man, right there she was handling outside in the corner just getting at least a couple more people to invest in that site well and you know it's it's that. interesting because we were talking about this a little bit on sunday night on and i don't know uh steven if you were there or not um no i wasn't there that's right people yeah. didn't tell me to shut up because we were <laughs> We were talking a little bit about the fact that you've got all of these, you know, Ahsoka toys that are out there now, but we're really kind of just rehash, rehash. They're repackaged stuff that already existed. These are not brand new action figures. These are the Rebels action figures that have been repackaged with the Ahsoka branding on them, and those aren't selling either. You know, you still have all of this stuff. I think I think uh, Clownfish TV, I think, maybe did a video on it about how the Star Wars toys are just not selling. And, you know, that factors into everything else that we've been talking about with the Disney stock. I well, it would be it would be something if Nelson Peltz would take a box of Star Wars merchandise into the board meeting, into the shareholders meeting and dump it on the table and say, look. Here's all of the stuff that's not selling because you guys are making terrible decisions. I have a better one. I would actually take a box and walk through Disneyland and see how many people wanted an actual free toy. And record <laughs> how many people say no. But that would be yeah. It's here. Come in and watch your movie. Come in and watch your movie. We'll give you a free toy. But, <laughs> yeah. but this is the other thing I've said before. I'm sorry I mean to cut you off. No, you're good. This is, I, I've said this before is – that's the problem with Disney, if we're looking at it as in general, or we can look at Paramount, is Disney has taken what their brand was known as the family-safe environment, and they've turned it into a toxin. Yeah. So, and that toxin is now all you hear, when you whether you hear Star Wars, Marvel, or Disney Princesses, or anything else. So what is their most successful show right now? It's Bluey, and they don't even own it. Right. And right. so and that they've turned themselves into a toxin because they stepped into a puddle where they should never have stepped into, and now all they're doing is just going deeper into that puddle because they don't know how to get out. I'll go you right. one further and, there, and David. If you were if you were to go around Disney mm -hmm. World wearing a dress and handing out toys, you might you might do a I'd little bit I'd be end better. up on TikTok. That's not happening. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Go ahead. I didn't cut you Yeah, that's essentially what's happened. That's essentially what's happened with with Watsy. The um, 
Is that Wizards of the Coast? Well, yeah. yeah, Wizards of the Coast. Right. Um, what's happened with them is that that they have taken a um, they've taken our um, uh, you know we live in our parents' basement. Get you know, haven't you ever kissed Bondo. a girl? Gaming uh, attitude, and I'm sure there's some of us that don't do that, and some of us that still do that. So you know, I will. I will. I will. Let me interject here. I have kissed a girl in my basement, so. I'm I'm good there, <laughs> but what's hap- but what's happened is that, uh, that they're another oh, one me. that yeah, you yeah you yeah really wow, you yeah, just yeah. got Spanish <laughs> position right there that was good there, I I, de- I deliberately provoked that response thank you very much all right so but what's happened is that that's another property that they've tried to turn that they've tried to turn it around and you know honestly. Uh, yes, we call we call them we call them uh, Necrosoft, but we really do, but I think that you know we, that there hasn't been enough exploration, or I haven't I haven't uh, watched enough videos to see what's been the motivation besides the um, um, ideology uh, push. Yeah, besides the pu- push towards the quote wokeness. Uh, the wokeness is deep inside you. Um, and I started seeing this uh, some years ago in um, over at drive through RPG, which is the big PDF seller. Um, they sell everybody's P- uh, everyone's PDFs that uh, signs up with them. And what happens is all the Watsi product, all the Watsi modules, all the old ones have these big, uh, these big apologetic disclaimers talking about how, um, you know, this was printed in a time when we were less culturally, oh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. less culturally sensitive, etc. And <laughs> and the thing is that I'm again, what they're doing is that they're I'm not into the that kind of business terms, but are they mismarketing or misadvertising now their products? They're sell, trying to sell it to people uh, that don't have that wouldn't normally have an interest in it in, in its original form and in its modified form you know they're not get, they're they're uh, annoying their they're annoying their previously loyal customers um, yeah, well, that, that's but you're right there it's because the the market they're they're trying to go after are too busy spending money on their nose piercings hair colorings sh- shaved heads and then pretending oh no they were always they actually pl- care about I, I no, no, they were always playing. They were already playing. What's 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 changed? What changed is that they're. Um, uh, what's changed is that amongst the people who, um, uh, amongst the people, their previous clientele or their previously existing clientele, depending on how you sell, want to ca- call it, what happens is they're losing that share. What they're doing is that they're going for. The, they're going for the wokeness crowd. They're going for the wokeness crowd and lo- like Disney and losing their losing their old customers. Uh, and I don't mean well, by age. I mean their uh, long durate, long term have been the, buying, the actual buying investors years. of like heavy collectibles, like buying all the ATATs because they want to do a diorama. You talk like stuff like that. The people that have been heavily invested buying the new things that interest them. Yeah, who spend six hundred dollars yeah. on like the black le- like legends lightsabers and all that stuff. Or 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 um be- or back. Uh, uh, 15 years ago, with the D, uh, or so, with the D and D miniatures, buying a scale size colossal red dragon <laughs> uh, a miniature, complete with its stat cards, so you can play D and D miniatures with it. You know how many people are going to how many people are going to pay a hundred dollars for that 
for for that guy. I for, I forgot. I think that it was a hundred dollars, but nonetheless, the thing is that it was per it was it had the full complete actual stats for you to play it in the uh, the D and D game for miniatures, or to just plop the sucker down on the on the tabletop and have it go. Okay, where are you positioned? Okay, make your attack. Uh, you know, roll for your attack. How how fat um, how fat is that dragon? Um. <laughs> <laughs> um god i forgot how many inches l- long oh. it is. i mean mo- most mi- most minute you know uh most miniatures are um most no, miniatures no, are no no uh, no i'm I'm, I'm making a i'm making a reference to the fat dragon that was in the D movie oh oh because you know yeah. there's a fat dragon in D D, and i think that's just nope, so nobody saw that exciting. but you jason i <laughs> It was a good movie. It was a good movie. movie. Go watch it. it I gotta watch movie. that. I totally forgot it's about it. I didn't say it was bad. I just said nobody saw it. Yeah, I am. Pr- I am proud to have wa- watched that movie. Yeah, not enough people saw it. But see, the yeah, thing about it is, it, a lot of people are discovering it on streaming, and they're coming in and they're posting it. They're saying, you know what? This is not bad. So no, that that yeah. was a, that was that was ta- uh, what do you call it? that was outright taking the game. Uh, and basically setting it in an adventure, and the players, the normally when you're playing the game, a lot of, or at least when I used to play, a lot of players would be, you know, like they would sometimes make a quote like as if they were in character, but then you know everyone else around the table would chuckle, chuckle at their, oh god, he there he goes, role, there he goes playing his role again, and it's like. Uh, <laughs> But the and the thing is, the movie had a tongue-in-cheek attitude like that. It's kind of like, no, no, we really are in the game, but we're not. Kind of like, um, oh, I forgot, I, I forgot which one of those animated things was where, where they kind of where they kind of act that that way. But still, Vox Machina, yeah, yeah. So, um, so the, what happens is, but it's really what what it really was was really an actual low level adventure you know people wanted people were thinking we're going to get epic epic and get level 20 uh a a level 20 mission and no what you're getting is for the most part really a level one to five mission except that they you know fudged the game mechanics (laughs) was Uh, it better than the original dungeons and dragons though that's the question nothing Um, beats the original Death Angel Shadow no, said it, that Fat Red Dragon in canon was Faerun. And, and I'm being told that Fat Shaming Dragons is unacceptable. Uh, Road Vagabond Life says. So, so, <laughs> Road, Road Vagabond Life is, is giving, me a, giving me a hard time there for Fat Shaming so, Dragons. No, anyway. So I, was, I, I have fat in my name. I can get away with it. <laughs> Let me ask you this uh, while you guys are here, because, because on the gaming side of things, we've had a little bit of news. Cyberpunk, you know, Project Red mm-hmm. CD... Uh, making a deal with uh, with um, Anonymous to do live action Cyberpunk 2077. What do you think is going to happen? If they can nail it like they did the anime series, I'm all down for it because uh, I think more independent studios, I think it's an independent studio, need to get their rise. It's the same thing with independent game studios. Uh, the AAA titles have kind of gone their own little way and people need like something to just inject in that gets people going again. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've seen I've seen criticisms about um, uh, uh, I've seen critici- big criticisms about uh, Cyberpunk twi- uh, uh, Red over at GOG.com as far as a uh, as far as uh, an actual game. So um, I don't know, but I'm not. I am not your. I am not the big video game 
uh, what do you call it? Uh, critic either. I just, I just see what I see. And, and, and when I get a chance to, to do it, I'll let you know too. That, but um, it, they're, they're using the same imagery from the original art, uh, art Tal Solorian uh, 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 cyberpunk game. So I, that's the part that's making me wonder if, uh, if it, if it, if Mike Pondsmith at least got uh, a good deal uh got got a good deal to uh do rights or, or if it really is based on his original uh, cyberpunk uh tabletop game not sure but the, you know the 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 assumption is that Keanu Reeves will be in it as uh as Silverhand Johnny Silverhand um how how would you do that that well it it's i'm told it's set in the in the cyberpunk 2077 universe not necessarily the game in the movie so it sounds like they're expanding into uh, various different ways to tell different stories that might not be in the video game they'll do something brand new so see they if they are including him and he's going to be picking up his role again the way they did flashbacks in the game and living through his memories they could just do it like that if they if they could literally make it a before 277 like within the same universe yeah and yeah, that it kind of gives free reign without affecting your storyline within the game, I guess. But I'd be right. interested to see that. We can get it like a cyberpunk John Wick. I'm I'm sorry, I'm down for that as long as there's <laughs> not like a hill to fall down for five minutes. Right. Yeah. Right. As a, as how's it go? It's not Shadowrun, so I don't want to see a scrap of magic in it. I like Shadowrun, but I don't want. Uh, but cyberpunk isn't Shadowrun, so. Yeah. I'd rather see this come to fruition than see Amazon's fallout. That's that's the way I look at it. Right. Well, do you think with Anonymous being involved and the assumption is Keanu Reeves would be involved, do you think that there's more likelihood they'll be faithful to the source material than other people have been, like Amazon with Rings of Power? Uh uh, I think they have no choice of this matter. And yeah, uh, it'd, be, it'd be hard uh, to be worse, what, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, your your nature is like this. If One Piece can do very well, yeah, and after learning from Cowboy Bebop, you can't go in with no hope anymore, right? Because right. that's all we're running on right now. Just... And and that's a good example of people being able to learn from their mistakes because the same people doing one piece are the people do it, that did cowboy bebop and they sat there and went you know what we did it wrong and they acknowledged that which was refreshing to see because a lot of times you know these these creators they get criticism and they get blowback and then they push it back and they say well you just don't understand you nefarious blankety blank so and so and we uh, didn't get any of that from the producer, the guy who's developing One Piece with regard to Cowboy Bebop, he didn't come out and start slinging mud. He said, yep, we screwed up, and we, we learned from that. And that's always good to see, I think. Well, yeah, even though I made a couple of memes where the guy kind of reminded me of Bruno Mars, so I kind of memed <laughs> Bruno's bars on Luffy, Luffy, it was still a good series. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think there's always a turnaround. The problem is we're, how long does it take for turnaround? And that can be also applied to D&D. &D. That can be applied to Wizard of the Coast. How long until it's enough? 
how much do we have to lose? And yeah. I think that's where we're reaching the scales. Well, and I think yeah. it can also be applied to Deal Druckmann because Druckmann apparently is getting backlash on Twitter for supporting one country over the other. And, you know, here here we are, I guess, I guess karma starting to rear its ugly head because, you know, Druckmann is one of those who's like, you know, you blankety blank so-and-so, you know, we're going to do our game, you know, with regard to The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2. And, you know, citing Anita Sarkeesian, of all people, as, as a heavy oh. influence. And, you know, now he's getting a little of his, I would think. I mean, it's it's bad circumstances because of what's going on, sure. And, you know, nobody nobody wants that dogpile, but is, is Druckmann finally getting his? Uh no, I don't think until we firmly see a tweet with his head up his own rear <laughs> that we know that it's been successful. Because my, uh, the last of us two stuff is and yeah. my curious my curiosity for uh, doing the doing the the cyberpunk thing is is it um, you know what are the uh, from a sci-fi standpoint are they doing the the or are they going with the are they going to go with the original dystopian uh uh sci-fi of the uh, sci-fi uh sci-fi of gibson in the 80s uh the originals or um or are they gonna are they gonna be going more with the uh uh slightly more um, i guess enthusiastic uh sort of it, uh, uh uh cyberpunk of the 90s <laughs> That's hard to say, but I think if we look at how audiences are and the amount of shows that have come out that have been post-apocalyptic, we're tired of it. It's almost getting up there in saturation. Yeah. Well, there's dystopian, and then there's a, a po- then there's apoc- apocalyptic. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, sorry, my bad. Yeah, and and that's what and that's what I and that's what I'm going for because the thing is, it's um, the uh, it turned into it turned into. The world it, dystopians uh, uh, cyberpunk was, you know, of course, you know, uh, corporations in Japan are taking over everything. Hell, I did my, uh, I did my, uh, 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 I did my uh, high school uh, thesis on, on Japan's rise <laughs> back in the eighties, uh, or you know, before they uh, screwed themselves over with our real estate, we drowned them with our real estate. Um, but uh, there was the business that there was that and the business aspects and uh, and about the encroachment of technology, um, uh, the encroachment of technology and how it's literally uh, impacting us physically now. Um, and then the um, and then when it turned into the 90s and the whole reveling in it, actually reveling in that uh, uh, sort of thing, um, I, re- you know, my one of my. Uh, favorite cyber cyberpunkish sort of things is uh is uh billy idol's uh cyberpunk cd which uh you know the the it, you know at least the one video for jack to the system uh is is burned in my mind forever and uh so i'm just saying i'm just saying which one would be more palatable palatable to audiences a bl- uh at this point a bleak message or a um uh, kind of like going, you know, basically throwing yourself into it message. I think it would be beneficial. Again, this is just me speaking. If they went in more with like the way the 27, seven universe, I, I guess more positivity, maybe I think 
the, okay. what you, like, with the whole like yeah the J japan's taking over everything but it opens up a lot of avenues to even do anthologies down the road because you know we're not going to have Rakano doing this stuff forever but if you can do it in a style like the way carbon was or altered carbon was you, mm -hmm. you already have a template and ultra carbon uh, i think the first season was fantastic if they can do the same type of style with cyberpunk yeah i i i love that i love that series you as have well. to look you also have to look at where they're aiming this and if they're aiming this more towards the gamer fans and then trying to grab onto a more normal audience they're going to have to branch it down the middle yeah. yeah well and 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 as a needle to as a needle to jason but you know with ai keanu can keep playing <laughs> keanu can keep playing johnny silverhand forever yeah that's all we need. Michael Jackson holograms everywhere. That's all we need. Well, and, no, and, my, and Michael raised a good point because, you know, with this being uh, based on a video game and you've got all of the different elements that are already there, even if you're doing a live action uh, story, how much of it would they be able to use the digital assets from the game and basically create an entire uh, an entire world because you could you know you could go into a studio like the volume and you could take the digital environment of the game and translate that into what it would look like out in in a in a real physical space projected into mm -hmm. the volume and then you don't have to build the sets you've just got them there and you can just you know put your actors on on treadmills and haptic motion capture suits and just Sky do the whole thing the in the dome of tomorrow yeah mm -hmm. yeah you could do that which you know stylistically i think that would be kind of kind of an interesting visual maybe well certainly all the certainly all the uh cyber uh cyberspace uh uh, scenes uh, can can certainly be all digitized up, and you can throw whatever in there you like, and yeah. that would be fine. the The question would the question would be the the uh, visual the visuals and what the technology uh, will allow you to get away with, both in terms of uh, cinema, both in terms of film, and in, and in context of the um, the. Uh, physics of the uh 2077 world that um the so the, that's that's what determines what you're going to be seeing outside and that i think will be much more important than what's whatever goes on as part of the uh mission as, as part of a mission in cyberspace yeah So what what else is going on out there in the world? And I mean, I know we've been talking about gaming stuff. Here's here's something. Uh, this this is just out today, apparently in books. There's a new book called "The Reign of Marvel Studios." <laughs> Uncovers twenty years of shocking production truths. This is a review over at Cosmic Circus. I didn't know this book existed. Uh, upcoming book from Liverite covering the production history of Marvel Studios, starting with the earliest Marvel productions in the 1970s. Hmm. That would well, include... That would be fun. That would include George Romero's Fantastic Four, would it not? 
Uh, writers, that would be the 90s. Joanna How Robinson, about? Dave Gonzalez, and Gavin Edwards take the reader through the behind-the-scenes drama, corporate scandals, and hard-fought victories that led to the creation of Marvel Studios and their unprecedented reign of success of the 21st century. Uh, which would that is include really not the 70s? Would that include the 70s Spider-Man uh, live-action Spider-Man show and the uh, and Bill Bixby's Incredible Hulk show? I would expect. I mean, if you're talking about the 70s, uh, then oh, 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 hey, here's an item because they're talking about the things that are in there. How former Disney CEO Bob Chapek affected Phase Four? How much you want to bet? Uh, here's here's a hit on Ike Perlmutter. How much you want to bet these two items right here? Are gonna be uh, hit pieces on Ike and and Bob Jr. Interesting stuff. What really happened on Edgar Wright's Ant Man? Let's see. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't see. I'm just scrolling through here real quick just to see. I don't see just uh, cursory glance uh, talking about any of the early stuff. But I would imagine if they're going back all the way to the 70s, they'll have to talk about Spider-Man and the Captain America movies. And Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about those. Yeah. So that's that's interesting, I think. that's uh, I might have to pick that up. Maybe. That, I don't know. And will they include uh, – will they inc- – is it a separate animal? I, I don't know. I'm asking. Is it a separate? Are the was the whole animation of Marvel during the during the uh, 70, 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, kind of tied in, or is that a completely different animal to the live action? Well, they're telling completely different stories. I wouldn't think that it's. But but see, back then, your TV, your animation, your movies, you know, the Doctor Strange movie and the the Incredible Hulk movies and the TV show and and all of that, none of that was in, was cohesive in terms of any kind of a master canon you know the universe that was there they didn't start the world building as far as like a shared universe thing until they started getting into the incredible hulk tv movies where daredevil showed up and you know red brown red brown over there as captain america i think he was off in his own story corner Nicholas Hammond's Spider-Man was his own thing, and you know they didn't start doing any of that until they start bringing in Daredevil and Thor in the in the Hulk movies. But even then, there was no shared anything else uh, anywhere else as far as the, and the animation and the live action has always been um, separate from that, that's from any what of the I was live. Wondering about yeah. the scope of the uh, book. Okay, so here here we've got a here we've got a share here from Fat Steven. Unity CEO John Ricciello steps down after pricing blow up. Weeks after calls for his resignation echoed through the video game industry, Unity's CEO is retiring. Okay, I'm playing catch up on this. So Fat Steven, uh, uh, catch us up on this. What is this? Uh, let's just say they tried to rework the pricing and charge twice for for two different things, and oh. nobody liked it. And a bunch of the developers is. were like, "Okay, when this day comes, we're probably going to move to Unreal or somewhere else." And there you go. This is uh, this guy behind it. So he's and that might explain uh, that might explain the sales over on Humble Bundle. Yep. Uh, hum- offering uh, offering uh, uh, various books and programming at. at uh, assets 
you know, uh, programming code assets uh, uh, and such for the incredibly cheap charity prices. So, mm. Mm. <laughs> so I'm assuming I'm assuming this is a good thing here for him to be doing this. It, it is because think about this way: they were trying. I think they were trying to charge for the developer tools and the the runtime at the same time. And they were like doing some weird charges. So let's say people like um, were kept download. I can't explain it right, but it's. Let me, I'm gonna find it. But yeah, it looks like calling for uh, people's retirement does work. And I'm gonna See, find it. You know, I think I think it's interesting that over the last year, year and a half, people on one side of the aisle who have sat there and said, "Oh, nobody's ever gonna do anything. This is never gonna get fixed." They're learning through things like what happened with Bud Light, like what happened with Target, what happened with... Um, with D&D. D&D, <laughs> with, with Hogwarts Legacy. You know, people are starting to realize that they can have an impact in the marketplace. And so they're saying, okay, we do want more of this. We do want less of that. And we're willing to put our money where our mouths are, and and not buy your product because you're you're doing some you're doing it wrong, and people are starting to realize how much power they really have when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I think one of one of the things that's come out of it is you have companies like BlackRock and and others that are realizing that the whole DEI thing they they're having to move on from that. Because too many people are wise to the game, and it doesn't work as effectively as it used to, you know that it, it actually is a is a net negative when you hear anything about the diversity, equity, inclusion stuff. Well, that's automatically toxic. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Thank you very much. I'll move on and take my money elsewhere. You know, you had this with the Hugo Awards. You know, when when all of the sad puppies thing happened. You know, the discussion of the Hugos has been for a number of years. If it's got a Hugo Award now, I'm not going to read it because half of it's going to be political ideology, you know, disguised as a story. And it's going to preach at me for 600 words. Who wants that? You know, it used to be Hugo Award meant it was one of the most prestigious awards. It was a great book in terms of craft and story and all this. And nowadays it's it's a virtue signal just like anybody else. And people are starting to, to figure out, I can push back on this stuff. I don't have to have this in my life. I don't have to subscribe to that streaming channel. I don't have to go see that movie. I don't have to right. to read that comic book. What? And it, it, the, you know, overall, the impact of the marketplace, I think, is starting to accumulate. Were, yes. Weren't the uh, weren't the uh, uh, aren't the nebulas and the uh, Saturns more people like People's Choice Awards? Because uh, I always had it in my mind that the Hugos, the Hugos were like the Academy Awards, but you know, uh, voted on by voted on by the members of the Academy who who have trade yeah. in the Academy, and it, then the other, and then the and then the Nebulas and the uh, uh, the uh, Saturns were the were the People's Choice Awards or the uh, um, basically you know you know we 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 lesser beings yeah well right now the the people's choice award if you're going to categorize it that way the comparative award would be the dragon award that they give out at dragon con and that's been around since 2016 2018 somewhere around there 2016 thank you and and that one's more of a of a fan based 
you know, fans nominate, fans vote. The The Hugo Award is voted on by the membership of the World Science Fiction Society, which is a very, very, very small group. Um, when the Sad Puppies were going on, the, the, the maximum number of votes just cleared 5,000 votes. I mean, there's not a lot of people compared to the, to the population of the world and compared to the number of people who actually read science fiction, fantasy, and horror. You know, the, yes, the Hugo Award has been all considered the, the, the Oscar of sci-fi for a number of years, but that's a marketing thing more than it is anything else. It doesn't so really have. Consider, it's not the. It's you, the most prestigious thing anymore because there, nobody cares about it. And then so Saturn. Why don't you consider the nebulas and the Saturns that way? What well, are the, the nebulas? Uh, professional limit. Let me let what me let me explain. The nebulas. The nebulas are put out there by the Science Fiction Writers Association. So Sifwa oh, Sifwa does the the nebula. I don't know who administers the Saturns. Um, I think they're an independent group. That does that, uh, and I haven't seen anything. I mean, I would expect the people that are participating in that one are probably in that same group as as with the Hugos and the Nebulas and 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 whatnot. But yeah, they they're not goofier best picks. Well, Saturn is not as infected, I don't think yet. Sifwa is science fiction and fantasy writers of of it used to be science fiction and fantasy writers of America, but it now it's science fiction and fantasy writers association because they've got so many different members from outside the u.s um they're they're just as steeped in woke ideology as as the world science fiction society with with the hugos uh saturns i don't know about dragons not so much but there's a little creeping in but it that's what you're going to get when you have people who are fans who are activist fans on either side you're going to get that kind of activity and at some point it you know the pendulum is going to swing one way or the other and the dragons the dragons will be compromised like anything else and i think that goes back to an observation that i've made before with regard to left and right you know conservative liberal progressive whatever is that the 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 people on the left they circle the wagons to defend anybody that's accused of anything regardless of what it is. And I think it's because they they have more of a tendency to lean toward a collectivist mentality. You know, it's group dynamics as opposed to conservatives, libertarians who are more individualistic. You're on your own, pal. And so because of that, you know, we're constantly having to play catch up with this stuff because there's not as much of a of a a sense of groupthink and that's not really the best way to say it but you know when you talk about one side or the other i think the a biological lot... basis for conservatism and the biological basis for liberalism <laughs> i don't know i don't know i know but... there was an art there was a science article that oh uh, was it there, there was a science article that went on concerning that, and basically that it had that at its most supposedly, according to the article, at its absolute most basic, it, the biological basis for conservatism and liberalism is on the concept of disgust, uh, the sense of smell, or the uh, mentality that comes from the sense of smell. 
and what it and and, and it, getting into the uh, weeds in this is basically the biological basis is that uh, that liberals allegedly are more comfortable with uncomfortable ideas and smells yeah. and uh, <laughs> thoughts. Period. Period. Yes, I know, Mrs. Boss, but. Um, and what happens I have, is that I have no control truly, over Mrs. Boss at all. No. And, and truly, the idea that uh, conser- that conservatives on a biological basis get disgusted more easily, and the re- and so that transfers in turn to all the other physical concepts and then mental concepts. According to this article, I, I uh-huh. read it somewhere in the internet a while back. <laughs> so the so the idea is that. Until we quite look, it is you can make a joke of it or whatever, but until you get used to the smell, uh, until you get used to the smell, conservatives don't like new new smells. Yeah. All right. Road Vagabond Life says, I'd love to create a fictional tele. Wait, what? <laughs> or we have a very strong appreciation for deodorant. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So Road Vagabond Life says, I'd love to create a fictional tell all book of rumors. About TV comic characters. Rumor has it Dr. Quest and his friend Steve Kenyon were more than just friends. I'd get swamped with lawsuits, though. Yeah, probably. I mean, you could do something like that with uh, uh, characters that are in the public domain. I mean, you could do, yeah, you could do that. All right, so here's something that's breaking over on Twitter. Uh, Dex, Dex, Dexer, Dexer, Dexerto? Dexer, Dexerto. Dexerto. Uh, posting here, Fortnite leak reveals original Chapter One maps will return. Uh, I don't know any of you. Any of you play Fortnite? Oh God, yes. ever, you're gonna. Yeah, that's gonna make a lot of people happy. There's but they've the map. Three, here it comes. Yeah, they've evolved three separate maps. So are they actually incorporating as the actual Battle Royale, or is it just customs? Uh, I'm not sure. It doesn't. Uh, I don't see anything that says one way or the other here. But uh, some some discussion in the and the uh, responses, uh, apparently, there's going to be uh, the the chapter one maps coming back. Yeah, so. but for those that don't remember, when that went down, it was the black hole event, and it was like I think a week or so that all Fortnite servers were down while they upgraded the whole thing, and kids everywhere were crying in terror. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that'll be that'll be interesting to see I how that plays out. About so. that thing, that's a my daughter thing. <laughs> By the way, use creator Our code. No, hey, hey, I have my own creator code for Fortnite. Okay. That, um, that so here's go. here's this. This is uh, this is somebody uh, Fortnite leaks in the in that thread. Context: This is a time machine. It has the date of Chapter One, Season Five. And right now, on the Fortnite map, items from that season are spawning on the map. So, 2018. So July 12th, 2018 is the date on that machine. And now you've got stuff that are that's coming back from that. So it looks like it looks like this is a real thing. Okay, I will do that. So this looks like a real thing, guys. So if you're big into Fortnite, um, here you go. So that's gonna be crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I spent most of my time on the first first island. Well, That's awesome. there we go. All right, so on that note, we will wrap up. And uh, 
end on a high note. Happy news. Happy news for Fortnite fans. So, hey, Jason, just one last thing. Uh, yes. Congratulations on your not being back. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Um, spread spread yeah, the word. I usually wait for when you come back. Spread the word. Uh, We're not back. Game you're up here. Yeah. Can we can we give a special shout out to that Superboy is not going to be ruined? Can we also oh. give you stuff as well? A special <laughs> shout out to Superboy. Still maintaining Superboy. Thank yes. you. Yes. Except um, some slash fanfic. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, okay. So what? For those of you who are wondering what Fast Steven Seagal is, is referring to, Mags of Visaggio. <laughs> Uh, who I guess is no longer in the comics industry uh, for for all extents and purposes, hopefully not, posted on Twitter the other day that there was a plan uh, to turn Connor Kent, Superboy, trans. And there was a whole plan, and there was everything. Here was what it was, and here was going to be the name, and then uh, what was it? Uh, Skyrocket. Skyrocket was going to be his new name, and and all of this. And I, oh, there we go. Yeah, and uh, all because I, of a word bubble. All because of a word bubble, right? That said, how long am I going to maintain this name of Superboy? Yeah, something like that. And it basically said, you know, because Connor apparently has had identity issues all this time since Reign of the Superman. Now, for those of you who have been around for a while, you'll remember Reign of the Superman. This was a series mm-hmm. that came out. This was a story arc that happened after the death of Superman back in the, the what was it, the 90s. 90s. And Superboy is a clone of Superman, this Connor Kent. And he's gone through various different iterations. At one point, he was just a Cadmus project uh, experiment. Uh, and Young then Justice. Re- Young Justice. We've got you know the mix of DNA from Lex Luthor and all of these different things that have happened over the years with this thing, with this guy. Mm-hmm. And imagine nobody could nobody could, nobody could pin him down. And Mags Visaggio had this idea to turn Connor Kent into a trans girl for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then then to top and- it all off enthusiasm in the response from Brian Michael Bendis who thought this was just a fabulous idea I but you know they're not going to do it I mean they already made Jonathan Kent bisexual gay so you know to do that to Connor Kent at the same time I mean who knows there could still be a plan in there Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that that broke what a couple of two three days ago when 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 Mags posted that. I, I have a question. How <laughs> does how how does that even fix the problem of him trying to find out who he is, whether he's Superman yeah. or Superboy? That does not fix the identity issues at all. It gives him another one that he has to fight. Right, that's going to be the solution to fix your cloning problem well and jay raises a good point here too because you know the 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 invulnerability factor there if you start to do the do the the uh the surgery how do you do that you know it's a super tuck (laughs) right so i don't know i'm i'm i am very glad that mags visaggio is no longer writing comics but see, and that's um, the other thing is, as all of these people, you know, Mark, Mariko, uh, Tomasi, and you know, all these different people who are 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 putting themselves the self insert. This is going to be known. This there's going to be this block of time that's going to be known as the self insert era. You know, we have the golden age, we have the silver age, we have the self insert age, the narcissism era, the narcissism age. That's right, and it's ridiculous how much 
this has been going on for the last yeah. what ten Wait, years? I, I have a question. What 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 does Kryptonians take for estrogen or testosterone? Like, <laughs> what do they take exactly? Because you're gonna need yeah. a Kryptonian knife for the surgery. But what are you gonna take for like the treatments? Because I don't think the sun has has estrogen it, and, and you don't need any of that. You just need social media. It That's would be no, 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 no. He's he's going to he's going. It'll, it'll be a combination, uh, 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 pink oh, crypt- red kryptonite. It'll be pink kryptonite in a soy suspension. No, uh, because it's, <laughs> because of the trans, it's gonna be it's gonna be platter paisley. Oh. <laughs> platter, platter pl- paisley kryptonite yeah well this, this, this stream's gonna get canceled yeah <laughs> that's all right because it's over well, all I right think, they, well, I, <laughs> fictional comic characters that's what we're talking um, about that's right this uh, is all this just is in, how, in in this in is how to properly uh imply bad again. things in it, bad things in the chat don't use swear words don't that um and because not everyone heard my joke back on uh culture casinos uh live stream uh last week uh, i will repeat the joke uh-uh. uh so that way you can spread the word um uh-uh. i've heard that there's a new there, i've heard that there's a new cinderella movie that's coming out and it was asked in the chat which one and my rep- and my response was you'll know you'll know by the by the punchline and my question concerning this movie is does uh, Cinderella's gender change at the stroke of midnight? <laughs> well, depends if you put you, a glass slipper or a uh, military boot on. Are you, Actually, are you, I was thinking the song by King Missile. Are um, you talking about the the horror movie that's coming out? Whatever movie it is, uh, yeah, because there's a the key, there's a horror what, uh, Cinderella coming out. Because um, we just got some stuff on that. Not too long ago, and I don't, I don't remember because we had talked about it. I think on a on a Saturday morning, because we there was a we got some pictures. I think the first images is what we got. The, there is, the, there is the that, other, there is another horror, but uh, I think I got canceled. That was the Snow White horror with Rachel Zegler. No, that uh, was reality. That, that wasn't was still that no, was that still was something's something's happening with that. Who knows? I don't know. That's still probably gonna no. be Cinderella's to, curse. To, Cinderella's yeah. curse is what it's called. So, yeah. To be clear, you were me- you were mentioning. Uh, to be clear, you were meant. Though, Fat Steven, you were mentioning about uh, uh, what's the glass slipper. Um, I would say that it would be very appropriate if the song "Detachable Penis" by King Missile was playing in the background at the stroke of midnight. Is that sponsored by Velcro Shoes? Yeah. No, it was a nineteen. It was a nineteen eighty-seven song. By, was it? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, because R- R- Road Vagabond Life says Cinderella. Wasn't that? Didn't did? There w- wasn't there an actually movie of Cinderella because it was um, uh, uh, Jerry Lewis. Uh, uh, yeah, yes. Jerry Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jerry Cinderella. Lewis. Cinderella. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Cinderella's Curse. All right, got to wrap up. Where's after three o'clock? We're past our three hours, gentlemen. Thanks very much I'm for sorry. for jumping in and and doing this. No, no, no. I like having the group. This is a great this is a great thing. So uh, y'all oh, y'all have uh, a great um, weekend. Again, I do appreciate all of you being here, and I am going to now pull up all of our social media stuffs, channels, and and connections and links and whatnot, so you guys can connect with us in the various different places there, and. 
Uh, be sure to uh, to join us on Thursday. Uh, Lon Davis from Walk and Roll Costumes will be the guest in the second hour. And uh, we will be doing the costume reveals on Saturday at 3 p.m. Central. So do t- uh, uh, check in for that. I don't know if we're going to do it on our channels or not. Uh, we are definitely going to be hitting his YouTube and Facebook, uh, the Walking and Rolling uh, YouTube and Facebook. So, so join us for that. We might, depending on how much bandwidth we get at the location, uh, we may send it out to ours as well. But there's that. All right, that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much Who for shows being here. One week, what a holiday! I know, I know, I know. All right, but we're not back yet. Thanks for being here, everybody. Remember, the politicians hate you. The government lies to you. The media lies to you. And there are four. Lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to SciFiForMe Radio.